This derelict is his empire. Sacrifice to pride. Paid for in blood. Welcome back to Eventide Radio, a fan-made Destiny podcast. Thank you for joining myself and my co-hosts Rob and Robbie today for a very special episode, our deep dive into the latest dungeon, Duality. Allow me to set the stage. The long-missing, now derelict vessel, the fabled Leviathan, has reappeared in the Sol System, firmly planted within the orbit of our moon. Acting as a conduit between the pyramid, the nightmares have extended their domain to the infested ship. Burning questions about Kallus' abilities and intentions remain. The legendary hunter Eris Morn discovers a way to bridge a link into Kallus' consciousness, and our job is to get in there and find whatever Kallus is hiding within the deep recesses of his mind. Moments upon entering, however, we find this dimension is not what we expected. Kallus' mind is at war with itself. Today on Eventide Radio, we're breaking down everything. Join us as we tackle this dungeon encounter to encounter, discussing our thoughts on the mechanics, visuals, and weapons, as well as the lore, the latter of which I've enlisted the help of Elemist from the one and only Guardians of Lore podcast. Special thanks to Gabriel Flazino over on Twitter for graciously allowing us to use his incredible artwork for the cover of this episode. You can find his Twitter in the description of this episode. All right, well, I'm going to I'm gonna just take a step back and, and say I, I like your intro. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> you you you've you've shocked me the two or three times in a row now with uh, your your over the top uh, whatever you exposition you want to call it. I like it. I dig it. Uh, it it's fun. So uh, the first time that I did this dungeon, um, two of us did it blind, and the first guy had already run it like three or four times. And in hindsight, we probably should have had this guy on the podcast to talk about this. Shout outs to Nam, who's been like our dungeon keeper for the last like two or three weeks. He's just been running people through this. He's a machine. Um, but he basically was our guide. And I think that's the best way to do it, where we'd kind of get stuck. And he's like, huh, what do you think that thing is over there? And we'd be like, oh, it looks like a weird like bell thing. And he's like, huh, do you think maybe you should do something to it? And so it's like, like he never just directly gave us any of the answers. Um, but it was kind of this fun, like he 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 led us on just enough that it was kind of interesting and and it was kind of a fun experience. Whereas I think every other dungeon I've done, it's just been a straight like go here, do this. Here's the mechanic. Like he never just did that. He forced us to kind of work through it, um, mm-hmm. and and let us get hung up a couple of times, which I appreciate. Like so, it, it kind of felt like a blind raid, so to speak. Um, but uh, uh, so it was. Uh, so first off, just before we get to that, I do want to say like the aesthetic, fantastic. I love the jumping between the two dimensions. If that's what you kind of want to, you know, if that's how you want to interpret the the aesthetic, um, where paths get revealed because you're you know you're going in one dimension versus the other, and it's like oh now this gate that was here is not in this version of it, and then I can jump over and shoot the bell again, and once you know it, now that gate I'm on the other side of it and I can progress. So kind of a fantastic opening way to just introduce the mechanics to you whilst also doing king kind of a basic little kind of jumping puzzle sequence doing a little bit of action 
Um, I'm sure there's some of those hidden memory things along the way. I haven't found all of them yet. I've probably found about a third of them. Um, but so the discovery that Galron or the nightmare of Galron, Galron, Galran, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> buddy from uh, uh, Crown of Sorrow uh, is back and he's more evil than ever. Pool uh, kind of reveal like it didn't even occur to me the first time. I was like, I feel like I've seen this guy before. And then when it's like, oh, yeah, it's the nightmare of Galran. And uh, yeah, I'm like, I recognize that name. Uh, <laughs> first encounter. My thoughts are pretty cool. We'll we'll dive into that, obviously. Um, but I like that the first boss was sort of like a kind of a, a nightmarish revisiting of another one. And it wasn't just like those mechanics. It was a different take on those mechanics, which is also pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, having having played Crown of Sorrow, not a huge fan of Crown of Sorrow, but I did like the aesthetic and design of that guy as a boss, this big, chunky dual sword with the cool helmet. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I agree. I this isn't so much a, a complaint as it is a little fun fact, but it's interesting that, you know, the original <clears throat> model of Galron was a lot bigger. Uh, this is actually right. Galron's deception, I believe, is what they're using. Yes. Both which for was the boss and the, the right. little dudes that you fight the shades. So, yeah, um, it, it was pretty cool to see Galron again. Robbie, as someone who probably didn't play Crown of Sorrow, what, what were your thoughts on on this guy showing up? Did it have any impact to you whatsoever? Did you know of him before you got here? No, no I have no idea who he is. Uh, yeah. We met for the first <laughs> time. When, uh, it didn't go very well. We ended up getting into a bit of a confrontation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, had, I had no idea who he was, so it didn't really, you know... Had the same impact for sure. I, I know that. I'm the, I'm the new guy who doesn't know the lore, but you know we're, we're gonna find out also a lot about that for all the other people out there who are like me. <laughs> Absolutely, um, Rob. How long did it take you? Since you said you did it blind, how long did it take you to figure out uh, Dalron's mechanics? Um, so there's kind of like I guess this is spoilers, right? Spoiler warning. Since we're gonna dive oh, into yeah. like mechanics and stuff. Because uh, there's kind of like two parts of the activity. One is you have to figure out which door to stand in front of um, and grab that. Or you have to grab the symbol based on where the scions are hiding. And then that tells you what door you need to stand in front of. And then once you go inside the door, then you ring the bell. And then the shadows guys are there and, and you destroy them. And then you do boss DPS. Um, I think I think it was having done the Leviathan and having somewhat of a familiarity with like the symbols... Um, and the, the two other people that I ran it with, we were kind of familiar with like, okay, there's dog and cup and sun. Like it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't too, um, too difficult to kind of figure out that there was like, okay, there's a, each, each room or each corner has one of the symbols. Oh, you probably need to find a symbol based on doing a thing. And of course there's a scion with like a different health bar, uh, who's surrounded by a bunch of dogs. So like that part of it was, was pretty quick to figure out. Um, but then when we rang the bell, we weren't on the inside the first time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we or one, only one of us was like we didn't like only one of us grabbed one of the flags instead of two of us grabbing it. And that's when uh, our our guide was like, do you think it'd probably be faster if we did two of them at the same time? Right. And it was like, oh, yeah, OK, like that kind of thing. But at no point did he tell us, like, go here, do this thing. It was just more like, hey, he'd already done this a few times and, and had kind of learned from that mistake. 
which, you know, depending on your interpretation, maybe that is a little bit too much handholding, but I didn't think of it that way. It was just kind of like we had had some time to kind of like, but but we wiped a couple times because we kind of kept screwing up the sequence of like standing in front of the door and killing the guy and going in there uh, and then teleporting on the other side. Uh, again, using that 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 duality mechanic of swapping between the two dimensions. I, I keep saying that, but there's probably the more technical lore version of, of saying that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, it was kind of the, the pieces were, were pretty obvious, but then kind of fitting them all together uh, was just frustrating enough that it, it took a little bit of time to, to figure out um, kind of the right order to execute things. And then when you get to damage, uh, and then I think we wiped because we weren't paying attention to the countdown timer in the nightmare world mm -hmm. and then like died. And then like, I don't think it occurred to us why we died. And that's again, another instance where he didn't tell us right away, but it's like, you know, like we figured out like, Oh, right. If you ring the bell, it transports you back and, and it resets the time and all that stuff. So, um, not, not, it was not super time intensive, uh, but it was, it was just long enough and i think a good way like we've talked about this in the past like how do you how do you introduce mechanics that sort of compound and build off of each other like how do you introduce them like we talked about that with like bow of the disciple um and a little bit with like grasp of avarice things like that and obviously i think grasp of avarice is probably the lowest common denominator in terms of like complexity of mechanics where it's like oh all these things that fall on the ground and then you just dunk them somewhere um and not having really any complexity much beyond that this at least kind of requires a little bit of coordination and knowing what what corner to dunk said item in. So it's at least a little more complicated. Um, but uh, just just frustrating enough that it kept my interest uh, and wanted me to kind of keep trying at it until figuring it out. So it wasn't super crazy long, but long enough that it was good. Yeah, long enough that it was interesting. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because like, I think it took us about the same, or so my, my friend Ryan and I, we two manned this encounter um, blind and it probably took us, you know, the same amount of time that it took us to complete the entire grasp of avarice raid or dungeon two man blind. It took us to, to beat this encounter. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, this encounter is much more complex and engaging and interesting than something yes. like grasp of avarice or prophecy or whatever. Uh, this, this dungeon goes on to kind of repeat, you know, the bell mechanic and the flag dunking thing, but it, it it's interesting enough that it's not, it doesn't feel as, you know, stupidly repetitive as something like grass where you're just picking up the thing and dunking it the entire time. Uh, it took us a longer amount of time to figure out how to do this one. And that's what I thought made it good and interesting. And it took us longer than I'm proud to admit to figure out that we're supposed to go inside the doors and stuff right. to get teleported in. Right. But but yeah, it was it was interesting. I I was I was right. happy that this one was more complex and exciting. And it was also just like uh, in terms of like combat, I thought it was also engaging. Um, and that's consistent throughout all the, all the dungeons. But it was just overall really good, and I thought it, was, it looked cool and et cetera, et cetera. Robbie, did you play this blind or did you? Um, yeah, I, I had a similar experience than Rob actually more than Rob than yours because I was playing with a friend and then we couldn't find like a third person that we knew so we ended up like eliminating a third one but asked them first like or it was the first time we're gonna kind of take our time if you're okay with that you know we'll be fine but we don't want to get rushed we don't want you to like spoil everything for us and, and so we found a guy who was pretty cool with that kind of the same idea like basically we would run like 
two, three times through the encounter and see if we could figure it out ourselves. And then if there were right. like a tip, it's like, okay, you can tell us something now. Exactly. Um, but uh, it was also a guy who basically had gone to the final boss, but didn't beat the final boss. So he also like hadn't finished it. And he was cool about us exploring the map, which was actually why we took the longest because we were trying to find all the shadows and all these collectible things, which at some point we just gave up. Right, uh, because it it became a bit more hassle than fun uh, when we would keep getting stuck out of the map everywhere um, just for trying to jump over things. Um, but I mean, my first impression, besides that, like I, I had a good time, but it was like, uh, so you're ripping off Zelda and many Zelda games, and I'm sure other platformers, because like this is full of platforming, by the way. Yes, I know. Uh, in Destiny, everybody calls it jumping puzzles, even though you know, <laughs> it's not really a puzzle, right. but whatever. Um, so it's full of platforming, and it has like the same mechanic of like the Shadow Realm or things like that we've seen in other games. Like, and I mean, at least for me, like the first one I can trace it back. Me playing it, it was like Zelda, right? And Zelda is the same thing. You got dungeons, you got these kind of mechanics, you got to solve things, you got to figure something out, and. I think maybe that's why I ended up with like a bad taste in my mouth after the dungeon because I was like, well, yeah, but it wasn't as good as that. Sure. Because this was repetitive. Like, I get that you're trying to introduce the mechanic to maybe people who've never had something like this or, you know, in, in, the, in the end, maybe just not in Destiny. And I'm glad that it's not modes, of course, like you were mentioning. You know, it's not mm, just right. like picking up the modes and dumping the modes. So that's that's good. I, I'm 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 all for that. Um, but then they made it like the whole thing feels like a tutorial. Like the first two battles really just feel like a tutorial to the last one. Um, there's no evolution of it really. I mean, if if yeah. there is, you know, you 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 can counter my argument and saying, well, there is because you know they're introducing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's like the. I don't feel like that had to be like a thing, right? Like it just feels like a lot. And I mean, a lot of platforming in between like a tiny tutorial so that I can get to the final boss, which is basically just the same thing again, mm -hmm. just with more snipers <laughs> or something. I, yeah. Um, no. So, so I just wish that the fights were different, you know, like I like the mechanic of the shadow realm thing. Cause you know, again, like massive Zelda fan, probably my favorite game ever is like Ocarina of Time. Um, so it, it gave me like flashbacks of, of like some Zelda games and I was like, Oh, I like this. This is cool. Um, but then I think my experience got a bit frustrating because of the, like, I'm, I'm going to call it out. Like there were columns that were supporting nothing or half off, like whatever they were supporting. There's so many holes in the maps. Uh, in hallways where you can you can literally tell like oh they built until this part and then someone else came and built this other part and they like just put it together and then you can go out the map and be like oh yeah 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 you can tell um, I don't know I feel like the map felt really rushed I feel like they had like a good idea and then they didn't execute it as best as they could have to say that it is not a bad dungeon but for me it's also not gonna make it to my top tree or whatever um so yeah it's fun it's it's something different i like it again i don't i don't get a lot of the lore because you know I, I it was fun learning about it and talking to people as we were playing and you know like the story about these guys and stuff just i feel like the mechanic yeah like you said you, you get a bit more complexity but then once you get past that you get a damage phase that is literally just a 
punch because like the guy is huge and he doesn't really move a lot <laughs> except the last one that is for some reason at some points like sprints like mad uh, mm. but it's just like you you can just literally hit him halfway across the map with like a linear fusion and and you know he's chunky so you'll hit him even if you're not aiming um so that also didn't feel like uh, very uh, satisfactory uh, i guess okay so i don't know i had like a lot of mixed feelings about it like it, it did get me pumped but then i end up um getting out of it with like a bit of sour taste of like oh man it was so promising and then i just felt like it didn't really deliver at the end no that's valid i th- i think you're right it doesn't really i understand your your criticism where it doesn't really evolve mechanically over the course of the the dungeon uh it, it starts off really strong with i think this encounter is pretty interesting and exciting yeah and and then it doesn't really go anywhere from there you know, which I which I think is the same problem that Grasp and Prophecy had, where it's just like here's the same mechanic and then let's repeat it for yeah. The, you the know how, how I would describe it? It's like if you play any of those old Nintendo games, and when you actually beat the dungeon and you get to the boss, mm-hmm. and the boss has like different stages, mm-hmm. and and like the the actual map around you changes because the stage changed, and so now it's like a little bit different fight, but kind of the same. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like that. But in between each stage, you got a lot of platforming. Jump around. So, yeah. So, yeah, so it really feels like if, if they would have done this and it would have been just one boss and each one of these one, instead of doing it three times each, it would have been one time the first, one time the second, one time the third. I would have said this fight is amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's not a fight. It's a whole dungeon. So, it's a whole dungeon. Sure. Yeah. I agree with you that I, I don't think it develops enough over the course of the thing. And it, and it feels like what you said, where it's like a like a three-phase version of the same thing but i will say i think it does i think this dungeon does it better than um prophecy or grasp um rob when you were playing this dungeon did you experience these same like uh map holes that rob's talking or robbie's talking about i didn't uh truthfully though i didn't explore it nearly as, nearly as much i do want to say i think in the most recent hot fix they fixed a bunch of that um, I think there's a line in there that explicitly said they they're fixing a bunch of like out of bounds weird geometry things in mm-hmm. the, the duality dungeon. So hopefully some of those things have been resolved. Um, and uh, uh, so to kind of go back with what you guys are saying, I think I think every every dungeon has a theme that they just stick with the entire time. Um, I, some some are more egregious than others. Like grasp is probably again the most reduced. Um, which it, like I, I'm thinking like if you were to sort of how would you introduce dungeons to someone? I'd have them play grasp first because yes. it's probably the easiest in terms of like understanding the mechanics. And none of the encounters are particularly difficult. Um, but they are they're still fun. I, I will also say the uh, what's the one encounter re- uh, in pit where you have to just jump around the weird kind of maze area and kill the three hive wizards? Oh, the, the, yeah, the witches. Um, yeah. yeah, the that witches. Off if you if you can't jump. That one. That one's that's, like it's. I, I have never made it a. I've made it a point to never memorize where to go, and yeah. I do have I do have fun kind of blindly jumping around and like sort of like half being like, oh, I can jump to this ledge. But now I'm completely exposed, and I'm going to get lit up by th- this wizard. Uh, so I, I, 
there are parts of it that I enjoy, and I do agree with you that the mechanics sort of build up to each other, and then they all amount to the final part where it's like, oh, I did this part in this sequence, and then I did this part in this other encounter, and then they come together. Uh, it's like putting chocolate on your peanut butter, so to speak. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, definitely, definitely prophecy and definitely grasp suffer from the we're just going to do the same thing over and over again. And this duality definitely does the same thing where you have symbols, you go back and forth between the two dimensions, you do a thing in one dimension, and then it allows you to do something else in the other dimension so you can do damage. Like, yep. that's 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 the the TLDR version of it. And then and then you have the Rogue one, which is the the very first dungeon that we got, which I'm blanking on the name right now, the, the Dreaming City one. Shattered Throne. Um, Shattered Throne. Mm-hmm. Which definitely, you still have a, you kill an enemy and collect an orb, and then you kill another enemy and collect another orb, and then you dunk it to do damage. Like, that's the the theme to that. It just, it feels like it's dispersed out in kind of a different way. I will say, though, the opening encounter that I still to this day hate that you have to, like, randomly run between all the different areas. Like, that sequence could be about half that long. Yep. Um, like, it, I just... I, because I, I have to have a map every time. I don't memorize which where uwu fish is versus like eight snake <laughs> is. Like I just I have no desire to like memorize that layout. Um, and it I always end up getting lost, but like not in a fun way. Like in the pit of heresy part where mm. it's kind of it's fun to traverse that area. In in the opening sequence, I guess we're all like this is just like a whole dungeon review. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it, I enjoy the I enjoy the duality kind of. Th- the 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 punchline mechanic uh despite it being used over and over again because at least it's like the enemy the enemies you engage with are different each uh like realm and it's yep. kind of fun because you're like i don't want to deal with this guy anymore ring the bell and they're like let's get out of here so that's kind of fun yeah i agree uh, i think i think like the main core mechanic here of the bell like you're saying is 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 at least interesting i think it's cool and it's new and different right. and that you know, that's and- maybe part of it too is because it's new mm-hmm well, like nothing's wrong with that, you know. Like I, I'll, I think that's a plus compared to you know dunking stuff, right? You know, and I like that they. I just think overall, I mean, maybe duality repeats the same mechanic over and over again, but at least it's interesting. Like in the gall round thing, it's, it's just there's there's a lot going on, you know. Yeah. Because you've got the bell happening. There's you know different things you have to remember about the bell. You got the flags you have to deposit. There's like the shades you have to defeat. I mean, there's a lot happening. And yep. like the opening encounter of duality versus say like the opening encounter of, of prophecy, you know, I, right. I think it's just, it's more interesting than, than the others, regardless yep. of if it repeats mechanics or not. Yeah. And that's fair. Mm-hmm. I heard you guys both briefly mention uh, the aesthetic and visuals. Robbie, did you say you didn't like it? Is, is that what I was? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that it looks cool or wants to look cool. I just feel like after the raid that we had, which was also very, like, and, and you know, purposefully so, it looked like what it had to look like because we were going deep into the, the the pyramid place and all these things and, like, yeah, yeah, it looked really nice, but I feel like this one grabbed a lot of steady cues from that and used this whole like really shadowy place. But there was no change, and that's the thing that like you said about Pit of Heresy. Like, yeah, maybe the mechanics build up in a way, but they're not the same mechanic every time. It's like there are different mechanics that end up being a one big fight, uh, and but every encounter is in a different arena. The arena is entirely different. It's big, it's small, it, it's a maze. It's not. It's you know these ones are not. These ones is just like a room with a couple doors, always with the same four signs, always. Okay. With the, that's um, a valid. 
That is just, Kirtik, yeah. It's like they didn't put effort into building the arena itself. It was just like, ah, we'll just use the same columns and the same symbols and the and the same, you know, lighting and everything. It just looks so samey to me. Um, but yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, I'm again, and I'm not saying I hate it, but I'm gonna have to take this side because I know you guys are like, um, you know, drooling over it too much. So like, <laughs> I would, and I'll say this to you, Rob, because I already told Scotty this, but like, I'd rather do Grasp of Avarice than this. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Rob, to play the other side of the coin, why do you like the aesthetic? Uh so I like. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, so I, I agree with everything that Robbie's saying, and I'm not trying to, like, discredit your opinion because it's, you weren't there, man. But <laughs> the, the, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit when we were talking about our, our season 17 review of you've never really played the Leviathan, and I don't have yeah. some, like, no, strong tie to it. I've only done the Leviathan maybe six or eight times total, um, and that's, that's including Eater of Worlds and uh, what's the one that came out with Warmind? Spire? Like, Fire. Like uh, collectively, I've probably been in the the Leviathan like ten or twelve times to actually complete a raid um, between all three of them. So I I don't have some like great emotional tie. It's not my favorite raid or anything like that. But I do like the design that they took and this idea that we have this giant giant literal eater of worlds space giant ship thing that's just floating out there consuming planets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a cool thing that they introduced in D2. That's one of the few things a part of D2 vanilla that I think did really well of like, yeah, maybe parts of it you didn't like, but it's like, but the raid is like has multiple raids in it. And it's like depending on what path you take and all these like kind of underbelly things. And like they they really I think the raid team knocked it out of the park with designing the the Leviathan. And so the fact that we get to kind of go into a different part and you have this, again, this sensation of this giant, giant open space when there's a few of those kind of sequences where, like, I think it's supposed to be, like, almost like rib structures where it's, like, you you climb across where it really gives you a sense of how vast and gigantic this this ship really is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, we've never been here to this part of the Leviathan before. Like, how much more is there to discover? Um, so I think that kind of, like, wonderment, if you will, was definitely there. Uh, I was also getting a little bit of, this is another thing, Robbie, that you didn't play, uh, Zero Hour, which was the uh, Outbreak Perfected timed mission, um, and like the sliding down the the ramps and not trying to get killed by them, that was in the Zero Hour mission, and there was a couple other sequences where you kind of like jump up and down through pipes and jump on things, like I was kind of getting vibes from that, so it was kind of, it was kind of fun to, to get a little bit of a, we'll say throwback to that, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it was, it was fun going through that the first time. And this is where I, I, I kind of talked about the whole Eris Morn. Sorry, I had a hiccup. The whole oh, Eris Morn dialogue at the beginning where it's like, I'm not going to enjoy this the 17th time. And the same goes like with some of those jumping sequences where like, I'm not going to enjoy this the 17th time from now. Um, and that's that's definitely going to be a bummer where I'm not looking forward to having to go through that. And I definitely mm-hmm. anticipated a certain point because we'll talk about the loot uh, eventually is like there's going to be where it's like, hey, does someone have a second encounter checkpoint so I can farm X weapon? Or does someone just have the final boss checkpoint so I can farm X weapon? Kind of like grasp. I like right. as much as I like as much as I like grasp, 
because it's and, and I've talked about this, like I love the idea that this has been in the Cosmodrome this whole time and we're kind <laughs> of like diving down into the loot cave um, and mm. and kind of exploring. And I, I do like the aesthetic of like the whole Cosmodrome area. And, and I know you've got everyone's got opinions about that as well. But eventually, like running through that dungeon X number of times. I'm just looking for a checkpoint so I can farm AS Lunas. And I've, I've kind of like done that, although there's no point now with Ostringer, which we've already talked about. Um, but all of that to say, it's like, I think all of these dungeons sort of, I mean, for some people, they'll they'll run through them like 8,000 times. Again, like that guy Nam in my, my clan, who's been sort of the shepherd for many, many people. Shout outs to him. Like, I don't know how he hasn't gotten sick of it yet. It's only been out for three weeks, but he's done it's it. Like instead of Sherpa. Sorry. To, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's Sherpa, but you could say he's a shepherd, like where his flock so yeah um but i mean i think he's done it over a dozen times at this point which i know there's probably people who have done it 50 times actually i know oh, for yeah. a fact Probably, some guy yeah. put, some guy posted on Reddit complaining about the red border situation, which we can also talk about. That he had to do the final boss like over a hundred times just to get the heavy machine gun, like to get five red borders of that. So, oh, I, I suspect they'll patch that at some point too, because the craftable weapons as part of this is also kind of annoying. But anyway, yeah. um, mm -hmm. that to say, every dungeon's gonna get annoying. Vow of the Disciple is gonna get annoying. Oh yeah, uh, I mean that's that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen. Um, sure. Eventually, and I think it's just sort of important to not over fatigue yourself with any yeah, of, of these course. things. Yeah, that's so. if, if yeah, that, if that's like one thing that I would say for most people is, like, and including me, like I've been learning how to do that too. Yeah, and honestly, uh, the one thing I want to add about the aesthetics and all this stuff is like maybe I'm also a bit harsh on on, on that side of it because we've had such great missions lately, like like the one yeah. for the DMT. Yep, you know that was in a dungeon. But that right. was amazing. The whole the whole ship was built great. Every part of it had like a sense, you know, like the Star Wars trash can thing and the jumping parts and this and that. Right. Um, then we had the new one that's also kind of like like you said, going back into the old raid and and for me being there for like the first time and and seeing how it changed. And so like uh, it's just like I I and the raid I gotta contrast it with like so many things that we've had recently that are not even dungeons, but I feel like if you grabbed the mission from the DNT and made it the dungeon, I would have been super happy about that. For oh, yeah. Yeah, if it stayed. oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. And I, and I think you hit the hammer on the head. Like after playing presage or presage, uh, it's hard to come back from any mission. Um, because that, that felt so, I mean, that, that felt so out of place for, for destiny that it's, it's, it still kind of sends shivers down my spine, like how well done that was. Like I, I never yeah. thought I'd want to do missions like that solo, but I absolutely loved exploring every nook and cranny of that because of how well done it was. So yeah, yeah. it was a whole ship. It was, it was yeah. great. I, I loved it. And yeah, like you said, I just, it just felt like such a polished product that they came out with. Right. right? And people were not expecting it. And we saw it with the Hawkmoon before, like they had an idea of making something of this caliber. You right. know, when they tried with that one. And then we saw Persach and it's like, okay, yeah, you guys nailed it. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. That was great. So mm -hmm. I feel like this one's like a bit of a step back for me in that sense. Where That's fair. like that was a mission and I expected him to, to be you know, at least at least as good. Just keep keep giving us that standard of, of greatness that you've been putting out. Uh so for the dungeon obviously and especially if uh just to remind everybody that it's not a free one. Uh, right. Yeah, that's why I I don't know. I just expected more. I just expected more. I sure. think I think there was sort of a 
this is my interpretation. The re- so it's like ten bucks if you bought it outside of the deluxe edition, essentially because it's both of them are twenty dollars. So yes, you can split it down the middle. They did add a seal to this, which they've never done for a dungeon before. So that's kind of cool. So if you are a title chaser, then this the introduction of this is right up your alley. Uh, and I think it's worth sort of giving some credit to that, that that's probably why the cost of it was ten dollars, um, because it is kind of considering we've gotten ever. Well, we had to pay for. I will say this feels like a better value than Grasp of Avarice. So, yes, I uh, would agree. Uh, but of course I do. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know we've also had the discussion of like, well, with Grasp, you're also paying for all the, the ornaments, which I don't. I don't consider those to have the same value as like gameplay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, but yeah, I'm looking at it as $30 for grasp versus $10 for this. I think this mm-hmm. is definitely a much better value and you get a seal title out of it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So one thing I wanted to add to go back to aesthetics. So I want to, I want to preface before I say this, I do like the aesthetic of this cause I love the Leviathan and I think it's cool. I think the nightmare realm is cool too. And I like the, the contrast between the two. I think it's neat. I like the aesthetic. I, I genuinely do. I think it's it's up there for me. I don't think it's as cool as Prophecies or something like that, but I think it's cool. But I will say, I don't think this dungeon really had any of those like wow moments, you know? It didn't quite feel yeah. like yeah. the original Leviathan. Like, you know, say what you want about the uh, Eater of Worlds raid, but one of my favorite moments from that one is that cannon that you jump in. Oh, yeah. You get shot out of that cannon into the mouth of the Leviathan. It, there's not a whole lot of moments in in this dungeon that that felt like that, you know. And, and I think some of the other dungeons actually have moments like that or, or similar ones. I mean, even though Grasp is my least favorite, I, I'll admit the moment where you get through the opening cave and then you look out over the Cosmodrome and the original, um, whatever track that was, I think it's called the Traveler from the original Destiny soundtrack plays, right. and you're just hit with like overwhelming nostalgia, and it's just super cool. <laughs> there, there's not. A moment like that, I don't think in duality, and I guess that might detract from it. But yeah, that's I'm, true. That's true. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, unless you guys, I, I do also like how it looks. I just commenting on like how it never really changes, and I think you just like gave a great point because I feel like the other ones do have like that moment where you like after a, a you know a jumping puzzle or, or like a tunnel or something, you end up in, in a bigger area like oh wow okay yeah and you're right like we didn't really get i guess the only moment i felt that if i want to be fair is the first time you go into the shadow realm mm-hmm. right and it changes and you're like oh cool um, yeah but that's just like the first, literally just the first times so. yeah and it's also we've like seen the shadow realm before in shadow keep so it kind of detracts because it's not like an it's not necessarily a brand new thing you know mm-hmm. Rob, do you think there's any like wow moment in duality? Not really. Uh, yeah. The the final boss reveal, maybe, which we'll get into. We'll cover that um, shortly. But yes, that's, you're right. That's kind of cool, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I wasn't again not totally blown away. Um, I think it's. I think if if you were to ask me to to narrow it down into like one sentence, is it's a pretty good dungeon. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. Nothing. Nothing blown me away. I think it's got a good, healthy mix of mechanics that are at least kind of keep you interested. Uh, mm-hmm. The jumping puzzles between each are kind of fun, despite them maybe getting old eventually. Um, it's just kind of, it's pretty good. 
Not mm-hmm. I, I don't want to say it's like it's okay. It's it's more than mediocre. It's a solid dungeon. Um, but it's I Yeah, I don't I'd I don't agree. Know. Yeah. It's it's not quite perfect, but it's it's not bad. It's I think exactly it's pretty decent. It's a passing mark. It's a passing I agree mark. With yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, exactly. and I like it's not it's not gonna be it's not gonna be prophecy for me where I'm like like I I will do duality uh five times before I do another prophecy. I think sure. like that's that's my like <laughs> hatred to like ratio or something if you want to call it that or something. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. One more thing I wanted to mention, and this might make no sense to you guys, but I'm going to say it anyways, that I just remembered that I was going to say about aesthetic. So one of my problems with Shattered Throne is the Ascendant Plane aesthetic in the sense that I think I've probably mentioned mentioned this to you guys before, but the Ascendant Plane is very monochromatic and it's cool for brief moments in time, but for the entirety of a dungeon, the aesthetic kind of wears on me yep, and right. in, in yeah, Leviathan, exactly. it's got the contrast with the, the nightmare realm and the, um, the normal world. But, and I totally understand narratively why they did this. Cause you're in Callus's consciousness. So it's not the actual Leviathan, but if you look at the actual Leviathan, it's much brighter and more saturated in color than the Callus's consciousness world. Right. And Callus's Leviathan in his mind looks a lot more washed out. And I totally, I totally get why they did that, narratively speaking. But it does, it doesn't feel the same as the original Leviathan. So right. it kind like, of detracts yeah, from that. Have more contrast if, if they mm-hmm. had it like you're talking about, and then the shadow one, the, the contrast would have been even greater. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. fair. So, so yeah, I guess that's that's a small complaint, and that's again like like a personal taste thing. No, yeah, I've, I've even heard from some people who are colorblind that like the Shattered Throne, and I'm guessing you know this one is also gonna be like tiring, uh, you know, for certain mm-hmm. people. Before we move on to the next. Uh, Little, little subtopic here. You guys like the the first encounter overall? There's just the first encounter separated from the rest of the dungeon, right? When you guys were playing this for the first time, did you enjoy Galron the Sorrow Bear? Uh, I enjoyed it more than the second encounter by yes. far. Yeah, I I'll, say, I'll say the same thing. I'll say the same. And I also thought that it was in a way the one of the mechanics that might not even be a mechanic, right? But like, because I can see how someone can solo this. But also how like dividing because like what we were doing, at, and I, I guess that's how everybody's doing it, is like you know you get one person per seal and then one person killing the the bell um, people, right? And and that just makes things go faster. And I don't think we had that kind of like division separation of like roles that were literally put in different locked rooms before as we had in this one so that was like a nice change that i, I actually like that but yeah mm-hmm. I, I definitely will say that the same as rob i prefer this one especially as a first time playing it than i did the second one realizing what it was All right, so now that we've dove into the first encounter, the Nightmare of Galron the Sorrow Bearer, let's bring in a very special guest to help us break down the story of duality. Elemist from the Guardians of Lore podcast. So before we get started, introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and your connection with Destiny, as well as introduce us to your podcast if the, our audience has not heard of it before. Hey there, uh, I am Elemist. 
uh, Lord Nerd and Nerd all around. Um, got involved in Destiny back in vanilla D1, but didn't really dive into the lore until year two. And we started the podcast, um, or I started the podcast with a friend of mine, Hyven, back when Forsaken came out. And uh, essentially, Guardians of Lore is a weekly book club where we read the lore entry and then we talk about it. That's awesome. That sounds like a cool format. It's one that we just kind of fell into. So do you guys kind of like, uh, you know, you take like a lore piece like week to week or however often you do it and then you guys talk about it? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times we will do lore books and divide it up over like two or three weeks and we'll alternate readers so that, you know, one person isn't doing all the reading and getting dry mouth. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. we do, we talk after every entry. You know, that's start, awesome. Start pointing out, oh, this is what that meant, or this is something that you know is kind of an Easter egg. Mm-hmm. We know this. So you guys narrate the that. actual thing. Yeah. Cool. That's super cool. Well, you have thanks a favorite, for coming on the show. Sorry, do you have like a favorite passage from the Books of Sorrow? Ooh. I I don't. Um, I do have some some favorite lore entries all around, but. Books of Sorrow, like it, it's it's cuckoo bananas. <laughs> it is. There's a lot. Is, is there one lore piece that stands out to you off the top of your head? One of your favorites? It's not like it, it doesn't even actually have a lore entry. It's flavor text on. Uh, oh yeah, the annual skate. Oh, what's that one again? Remind me. So the flavor text on it is, when the lake used to freeze, people would dance on the ice wearing boots with tiny swords and fall in love. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I remember that one now, too. Like, I'm, I'm a romantic at heart. Like, <laughs> I'm a goofball, but, like, there's a romantic in there. I love when they do stuff like that, when they reference, like, the current, like, modern time period as if it's in the past. And they're, uh, like, um, <laughs> and they're what was that one thing? things. Yeah. And like Eris with uh, pineapples or something like they oh, didn't know yeah, what pineapples yeah, yeah. were. So this first encounter of duality, let's 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 talk about it. So immediately we're reintroduced to a character that we already know. Um, we see the nightmare of Galron, the sorrow bear from Crown of Sorrow. And so this obviously has some sort of, you know, story implication. Um, if if you're familiar with the whole story about Sabathun putting the crown on uh, or wanting to put the crown on Callus, I believe. And then Callus like made Galron to put the crown on. Um, Elemist, you can explain this better than I can. What's the whole uh, little story behind Galron himself? So Galron was created by Callus because Callus wanted he was gathering soldiers for his his small elite army uh, called the Shadows. Well, he wanted a shadow of the Hive. And I don't know about you, but Hive do not exactly cooperate with other beings. So, <laughs> so rather than trying to convince a Hive to become one of the Shadows, he decided to make a creature that had Hive abilities. Um, and the way he did that was he created Galron, and 
immediately, like, not even a couple days after he was born, put the crown of sorrow on top of his head. And it started driving him crazy. So then... Gotcha. We went in and took care of the mess. Gotcha. And and the crown was sent by Sabathun to control Kalis, right? Or that was her intention? If I'm not mistaken, I genuinely don't remember. Uh, Callus had found it, um, and he was like, oh, it's it's Hive. It's going to oh, give okay. Hive abilities. It was a trick from Sabathun because, well, yeah, it gives Hive abilities, but it also causes the wearer to go insane. Gotcha. Does the Crown of Sorrow, does it just make them go insane, or does Sabathun gain control over them? I don't think she gained control over them. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, it is a relic of darkness, so like, okay. she can see using it, but I, I don't think she can actually control beings because of it. Okay, it's not like a mind control helmet. It's just like a, right. a dangerous thing to use. Gotcha. So my first kind of question, one of my first questions that I had when uh, dropping into the Gaul Run encounter is... Um, there's these tubes, like when you like in the like the spawn area for this encounter, or like tubes or like chambers or something with um, what looks to be like cabal people in there. What's up with those? Those are actually tubes for cloning cabal. Callus um, manufactures his own army. Gotcha. Are they clones of Callus himself? Or are they clones of? Just like a, a random cabal. Well, like we don't really know actually what Callus looks like. Uh, That's we, true. We've got his his depictions and you know statues and stuff, but we have no idea what he actually looks like. Um, what his like current state is? Yeah. Yeah. So it, they could be clones of him, but as f- I'm willing to bet that it's just a general cabal template. Gotcha. And then that's what he mass produces his army based off of. Yeah. Makes sense. Another question I had when, um, one of my first questions I had when I got into this encounter is that throughout the season, um, most of these nightmares are all like reminiscent of like past traumas and stuff like that. And they have some sort of like reason for like haunting the person who deals with said nightmare. Why is Galron a nightmare of callous? So, nightmares typically are caused by some kind of negative emotion. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a dead person or anything. I'm willing to bet that the reason Galron is a nightmare of Callus is because Callus feels shame. He feels mm-hmm. ashamed that Savathun tricked him, that he you know, wasted resources, created this thing, and it immediately went crazy as soon as he tried to, to, you know, use the crown on it. So, so kind of like shame of failure. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Shame, shame that he got tricked, shame of failure. It just shame in general. Mm hmm. Okay. That makes sense. So, so, like nightmares can be any sort of negative emotion, kind of like how 
you know, like all the, the missions in like the sever weekly mission, I guess th- those are all literally named after like different negative emotions, like, yeah. uh, Keitel's rage and stuff like that. So, so if you could theoretically, yeah, so this, this would be representative of, of shame. That makes sense. And it was the same, uh, naming scheme for the nightmares that came with shadow keep. Okay. So like as as Dominus in- Gaul was rage, uh Fickrel, you know, the fanatic oh. was insanity. Um oh. all that kind of like there were seven, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Those are all the different nightmare hunts were called a different thing. Yeah. I didn't realize that. That's funny. Is there a lore explanation for why Galron's game model in the, in this encounter is different from what he looked like in crown of sorrow, where he's like all big and bulky. Whereas this version of him in duality is, uh, Galron's deception. Like he looks like that. I've got two answers for that one. And like, we don't have an actual official reason. Um, my head cannon lore reason is that, you know, it, it's when we see him, we're in the nightmare realm. So it's where Callus has had a, a mental depiction of Galron. And okay. So he, he doesn't think of it as a large being. He thinks of Galron as the, the size of the Galron's deception. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Um, now the other explanation is just game reasons. Like it, it, it's probably more taxing on the system in order to have all the the enemies come up, as well as a large Galron, and trying to figure yep. out all you know how that mechanic is going to work and everything. Like it's probably just easier this way. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, they might have even like made the encounter before they even decided, you know, what Galron was necessarily going to look like. And just mechanically speaking, they didn't want a big, you know, right bullet sponge like in a raid where that that's what Galron is. Essentially, he doesn't really do a whole lot besides, you know, being a thing you shoot out and Galron's deception does most of the the action. So, yeah, I mean, both of those make sense. Rob, did you have any questions about this particular encounter? No, uh, I think I, li- I like your headcanon explanation, and uh, I think I think you kind of summed it up. I I I do kind of. I know we I, this was kind of part of the previous conversation we just had, but like, like what is the you know what does it mean to be a nightmare? And I think my initial interpretation was that it had to be like a dead thing, but it doesn't necessarily as we'll kind of dive into more. Um, but uh, yeah, that it's like generally like kind of ashamed of this, this creation that he he's responsible for and that it, it is a nightmare that like literally haunts him. So um, it's kind of cool. It's like, it's, it's like diving into the psyche, if you will, of, of callus as we kind of go through this whole thing. And, and Galron is the first of many, um, reflections of that. So, yeah. Well, it's, and, a, it's a mind heist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny that you say, you know, diving into his psyche because that's exactly what we're doing. 
Right. Like that is right. the whole point of the dungeon. Right. We're figuring out what makes Callus tick. So. Yep. And quite literally, we're physically inside said it, consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Let's talk about the loot. So, in at least in this first encounter, and then we'll get to the next month later. So, the first encounter drops a reprised Epicurean from uh, the Menagerie, and we have a new weapon, a stasis grenade launcher called Lingering Dread, and it also drops three of the armor pieces. So, Rob, did you get a chance to get your hands on either the Epicurean or Lingering Dread at all? Yeah, so... I mean, there's there's actually a lot to unpack here. So the Epicurean, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, is from Season of Opulence, uh, from the Menagerie. It's a 740 RPM, which I think actually it's, what is it now, 760 RPM fusion rifle, or 780. Uh, they, they changed yeah, I, the I can double check for you. Yeah, um, but it's it's the middle of the road uh, fusion rifle, fire seven bolts. Uh, it's definitely a throwback model to, I don't remember off the top of my head, from D1. Uh, it's jewel-encrusted, just kind of like I uh, Ostringer or Beloved. Um, it's a cool fusion rifle. It's got some pretty decent perks. I happen to get one uh, from either the first or the third encounter because the Epicurean also drops in the third encounter. Uh, I got like a, what is it? Uh, surplus uh, swashbuckler roll, which is kind of fun. I like fusion rifles, as you are all very much aware of my addiction. Uh, so it's definitely fun. <laughs> uh, oh, it's it's the same model as Plug One. Like that's like the classic D1 fusion rifle model. Um, oh, so. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It is so, a 780 RPM. Yeah. 780. Charge time. Yeah. 780 charge time. You're right. Uh, yeah. uh, so uh, that's pretty cool. I have gotten uh, a couple of lingering dreads. Not any of them are good rolls. Uh, I know the quote unquote God roll is auto loading chill clip. Uh, there's a guy in my clan. Shout outs to Rory because he always likes shout outs. Uh, <laughs> he has like the Rory. God roll and everyone is like super jealous in the clan of his of of it. Uh, it's a cool aesthetic. I do want to make a comment because they're the this is the actually the biggest gripe that I have with the dungeon more than like I think I know a, you're anything else. The the aesthetic of the armor, the aesthetic of the new weapons, and the aesthetic of the season of opulent weapons do not make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> uh and, and in my honest opinion, the weapons that are new really seem like they match more the design of the vow of the disciple like those should have been weapons in vow and the weapons that we got in vow almost make more sense to be in duality uh or something because they have this like very like rigid harsh i almost want to use the word demonic to kind of describe them yeah um like and they're like red and black so they look like they're straight out of vow the disciple um they're really cool looking but then when you contrast that with the season of opulence weapons like those those the epicurean and and uh what's the uh, fixed odds is the heavy machine gun which we can talk about in one of the other encounters really mm-hmm. those should have been included in like the season pass part um because that like they go along with like ostringer and callus's mini tool and beloved mm-hmm. and all that i know that would kind of make that loot pool much more soiled so people are probably complaining already trying to get red border beloved so they can craft it you know, say what you will about all that. It just feels really weird to get this like season of opulence weapon or to get this like jagged, cool, awesome grenade launcher. And then the final part of the the complaint is, uh, and I, I'm not accusing them of using reuse content because that's blatantly not true, but the armor is all hockey be- play, uh, hockey play- based or themed. Um, you can actually see like the hockey like symbol on a bunch of the armor pieces. Now that's fine. 
but it doesn't make sense to put that in a dungeon where the theming is based around like callus. Like it would have made mm-hmm. way more sense. And this is where actually I think it would have been okay to reuse armor in the same way that they did for Garden of Salvation. That was like an earlier like season pass armor set, but they added like glowing fire parts to it or like pixelated fire parts to it. Like um, I really think it would have been cool if they took like Leviathan armor and made it all like kind of match the aesthetic of the weapons where it's got like these jagged parts and it's all like red and silver and black. Um, Like that would have made way more sense than to just release this hockey armor as the armor for duality. And it, it's a little odd, and I'm not a fan of it. And the reason I brought up the reuse content is apparently someone on Reddit posted that they that this hockey armor was shown as like uh, some like concept art from like a year ago or something like that that never came out. And then so they they obviously they've been holding on to it for a while and they chose to release it now. Um, and I know with Prophecy they did something very similar with the the Dido or Dado armor. Um, and it's like it doesn't really match the aesthetic of the dungeon. And so I'm not a huge fan of it. Like it just it feels so out of place when you have like three very conflicting aesthetics um, that can all drop from the same encounter. And it's I'm not a fan of that. All right, Robbie. So for you, what are your thoughts on the loot, at least for the first encounter? So, okay, if I remember correctly, the first encounter is the stasis grenade launcher and yes. the void fusion rifle, right? Which I remember Rob mentioned that fusion rifle that looks like basically like the other stuff and not the stuff from the... From the season you know, of opulence. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like the season of the opulence. So, you know, pluck one, void. We already have one. Didn't we have that one that was like the ritual weapon one time? So... I mean, yeah, maybe it's a different one, but I don't know. At least for me, not not being like a huge fusion PvP player or anything, like any any fusion for PvE will do. Like, I honestly, I don't know. Not, not super interested. Seems seems with the grenade launcher, it's nice that it stays. Is that that I'm gonna say? And actually, when I saw those, I I don't know uh, the name because I always forget about it. But when we played D1, there was this one SMG that looked like a shark. And then I was told the loot from that raid looks like sharks. And this reminds oh. me a lot of that. Yes. Which might, might actually be um, uh, the, the actual raid that this is inspired from. I'm, I'm, see, I'm not even sure about that. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about uh, Eidolon Ally or Necrochasm. Um, that, Necrochasm, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, first of all, it's not a SMG because SMGs didn't exist, but it did fire like supposedly when they advertised it, it was like it fires at a thousand rounds per minute. If you ever, I'm sure, Scotty, did you ever watch the advertisement promo for when the Dark Below first came out? And it was like a fake streamer who's like, this is Dr. So and so. And I'm showing off my sweet new kicks, and it was like Radiant Dance Machines and Necrochasm, and he's like, it fires over a thousand rounds per minute. Uh, it was just like a goofy promo thing that they were for for uh, Dark Below. Oh, yes, I do remember that. I, suppo- supposedly, that's uh, voiced by Pete Davidson. Uh, I don't know if that's true. I need to look that up. What? <laughs> anyway, that was a hell of a side tangent. So, yes, so that was Necrochasm. That's from Crota's End. But the other weapons that you're talking about that have a similar aesthetic are from uh, King's Fall. Uh, where they all kind of look like sharks. And that was that one night where I was streaming and I was using Zawali's Bane uh, because it's like the worst hand cannon in the game. 
uh, and I, I <laughs> did it to settle a bet or something like that. But yes, I agree with you. They have that kind of like sharp pointed. I almost want to use the word demonic. Uh, yes, that's the only way I can describe I, yeah. it. But like no, that aesthetic <laughs> is is so. Yeah, it's. I also agree with you that the they it's look like fish. Yes, uh, they do. To me, <laughs> that's yeah. what I think when I see them. Also, this it, red thing, like it literally looked like a tuna fish, you know, <laughs> before you. I know. So, um, but it's not. It's not a bad thing. I actually like how they right. look. I, right. I do like how they look. Yeah, I like it too. I also agree with you that it's kind of silly that we got a second void fusion rifle that's craftable, um, and I think yeah. that that's just sort of an unfortunate circumstance of. Well, Epicurean was void uh, when it came out in Season of Opulence, and we're just going to make it void again, even though, like, I don't know why they couldn't change the damage type. Uh, but, like, yeah, it is it is kind of odd where it's like, great, another void craftable fusion rifle. It'd be nice yep. to get something different. Which so. is a, it's a theme going on for me with these ones. Like, I mean, going on to the second one, there's the, the, S, the actual SMG, right. which is also void. Which yeah. I know, I know a couple, a few seasons ago, I, I should say, everybody was asking for a void SMG because there was like literally like no SMG that was void for a while that was in Sunset. Now we can't stop getting and, them. Yeah, and now we have so many of them, and and then we'll talk about that one specifically later. But then we also get the exotic drop from the from the dungeon, which is again void. Right. So. That that was something that felt really weird for me. Like, I don't know why it wasn't like solar. There's literally only one solar weapon in the whole uh, loot table, and it's the machine gun. Right. I know it's it's bizarre. I agree. You guys like the uh, the new grenade launcher though, the lingering dread, the stasis one. I've gotten a couple. I've not used the one, but one of my clanmates. Uh, he has an auto-loading chill clip, which is apparently yeah, like that's the, the god roll. Uh, and he seems quite pleased with it, uh, as do everyone else that I've talked to who's used one. I'm not a big uh, single-barrel grenade launcher fan. Um, like, they serve their purpose. I just, like, every time I try to be that guy in GMs, like, I'm going to use blinding nades or, like, whatever, I just do horrible at it. Uh, so I've just like I'll I'll usually collect one or two of them, but then I never ever use them. But oh, okay, with the with the chill clip, I'm kind of intrigued. And I, I think I yeah, it, I think it looks cool. I don't have one myself, but it looks very cool. And I like just any auto loading breach loaded grenade launcher. I really like. Right. And I believe it does. Does it roll with blinding? I believe it. I think does, you can right? get blinding on it. Yes. Actually, yeah, it doesn't. You can get it doesn't. Purple. You can get. Oh, never mind. Yeah, blinding is is, is on there. Sorry, okay. I take it back. Get me uh, worried for a minute. Yeah, Robbie, do, did you get a chance to get your hands on any lingering so, dreads? Yeah, I, I I played with one, but honestly, like, okay, it wasn't like I would. I guess looking at it, I would personally go for auto loading Vorpal, but at the same time, it's like I wouldn't use it because there's like one of the reasons, and we had the one before that had like slide shot Vorpal. And you can spam the thing. Right. It's really, really nice. And this one, auto-loading is nice. But the thing about the other ones is that, you know, if, I, if I'm going to use something like that, especially it has to be for shields. And we don't really have stasis shields in the game yet. Mm -hmm. So for match game, it's kind of pointless for me. So 
that's why it kind of gets left behind, you know, like sure. I, I wouldn't really use it for anything because I already have other ones that I prefer over this one. So right. until the day comes that I need a, you know, stasis for match game, then then maybe this one will make a, an appearance. Mm-hmm. So so not to not to side tangent, do you think that we're going to get stasis shields? I yes. think they have to eventually, right? If okay. not, what's the whole point of this? Uh, so many stasis weapons, because some of the obviously like chill clip, right? They only roll with like stasis weapons, and right. I, I feel like it's a thing that you either kind of like or don't like. I I don't see that much use for my playstyle. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I I'm assuming they're they they'll have to come at some point, hopefully. Okay. I believe so too. Rob, what about you? Uh, I am not looking forward to the day that they do come out. Do so you I'm think scared. they're going to do it? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. since Match Game seems like it's here to stay, unfortunately, like it feels like it's only a matter of time. Uh, I hope, though, we never get into a situation where we get all four of them in the same GM. Uh, like that just seems like a headache and a, a balancing act that nobody wants to, to deal with. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's coming. So for this next encounter, before we get to the second encounter, there is a brief little jumping, I'm not going to call it a jumping puzzle, you just kind of run around. But um, what do you guys think of that interlude section, I guess? Because typically we have some gimmicky jumping puzzle, but this, this I, I wouldn't really call it that. It's kind of just like a, a brief interlude before you get to the uh, second encounter. Like of the platforming vault. section. Yeah, yeah, like a platform. Is this, isn't this the part with the sh- the statues where you have to rotate them? Oh, yeah, I forgot that happened. But yeah, I suppose so. It's it's still not like as involved as something like, uh, for example, like the Pit of Heresies, like ogre hallway piece. Right. I feel like that's a full yeah. encounter. This yeah, is just kind of like you don't, it's an encounter, but you don't get any reward for it. Yeah, but like it's still more involved than whatever you call it. it. Is, yeah, yes. Agreed. Uh, yeah, no doubt about that. You you yeah. kill a couple of enemies and jump on some things. And then I, I would say it's a puzzle the first time you do it. Yeah. Uh, the statue thing. But then once you figure it out, it's like, okay, everyone just figures out which one they need to rotate two or three times and then call it good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's cool. I, it's fun. Uh, like any of the dungeons, it, it's like, how many times do you want to go through the the platforming sequence before you get kind of like yeah tired absolutely. of it um but mm-hmm. it's it's fun it's entertaining it's enjoyable i'd say it's it's better than like prophecies like wasteland i feel like wasteland gets yes. a little repetitive after a while especially because they make you do it i mean you at least go there twice yeah within the dungeon so i feel like this would be less i don't know repetitive over the course of multiple that. playthroughs there's that that one and the one from the uh, the one in the Cosmodrome both have like sparrow sections. Yeah. And yes. I just realized, think like you mentioning that. I just realized this one doesn't have a sparrow section. At That's all. true. That's true. You know, do you? Sorry, no. I, I do you like that? There's no sparrow section. I like the sparrow sections usually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate Rainbow Road with a passion. Okay, yeah, the, the <laughs> rainbow um, road is tough. But, but once you kind of like realize that you, I don't know. I, I guess I've played it so many times that I, I don't fold that often anymore. But but I I, I, I don't either. It's, but it it feels so long, and like it, it like with the with the 
this is where I, I I'm going to be a, a grasp of avarice um, apologist um, <laughs> is at least that like if you fail it, you all die and restart and you, and it goes so quickly. And the at yeah. least the music's kind of fun and exciting and it's uh-huh. like, you know, yeah. and, and you but when you get through it, you jump up there to get the secret chest and then you're like done. Uh, Rainbow Road has a secret chest, but it's annoying as heck to get to. Uh, and it's one of those that like kind of encourages like scummy gameplay, whereas like one person will get all the way through and it's like, do you really want to wait the 45 second timer? Which, by the way, why does that have why did dungeons have 45 second timers? All of them that's have that's that's something I really like all the dungeons, I think, need to get addressed for any of these like intermediate sequences. Why does it have a 45 second timer? I mean, it doesn't make sure. any sense. And it, it just makes it more tedious because there's times where it's like, let's just wipe it because that makes more sense rather than wait for the one person to come back. And like, yeah, you know, it just it's in like, yeah, well, sometimes not even wipe it. I remember a lot of times on, on the Rainbow Road specifically where like one guy just kept like we were waiting for him at the chest because the other bad thing about the chest is that it's got a timer. So right. if you open it, they got like, I don't know yep. how long to, to actually get to it. If not, it disappears. Right. And and someone that maybe was like newish to the game. And I mean, I was newish at the time too, but uh, they keep falling and falling and falling and falling. Right. And like, look, we're just going to kick you out to orbit. <laughs> right. And then we're going to get to the end and then we're going to invite you back because this is way yeah. too long. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think overall this intermediary section, as far as intermediary sections go in terms of dungeons, I think it's pretty inoffensive, but I don't think it's quite as fun as like, Grasp of Avarice is sparrow section or something like that. Right, right. You I think know? they just need like a way to somehow like bypass it by knowledge, like a shortcut. Once you know how to do the shortcut, kind yeah. of thing. Because, I, I mean, and, yeah. And again, not to not to be a Rainbow Road apologist or anything, <laughs> but that was like uh, when I when I was playing Destiny and knowing all these things for the first time, like. The first time you see Rainbow Road, we're like, oh, wow, this is really right. cool. And and then, you know, the hatred grows with right. time, you know, but, but that that first date with it, it, it was it was a sweet, sweet <laughs> date. Um, but it was it was really like a like a showpiece, you know, for the for the whole thing. Like, yeah, like, like you know, the whole Mario 64 nostalgia came back and uh, I don't know, it, it was cool. I, and this one doesn't have any of that in those transitions. But once you get past that, once you spin all the statues and whatnot, you come to Destiny's like 27th like vault encounter, where you have to open a vault. Yep. And um, so in this one, you repeat kind of the, that flag mechanic where you're running around, shoot the bell, and you go find flags. You put a bunch of flags in there, and you have to kill, I believe it's like three, like whatever the high-ranking cabal people are, three yep. cabal bosses, you unlock the, the vault. Success. So, Rob, what did you think of the vault encounter? Um, it's <laughs> it's underwhelming, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know why you need to do it three times. Like I, especially when you're doing the same thing three times in a row. Like I wish that maybe this is like a, a big ask and, and maybe they did this on purpose. So it's like, Oh, the middle segment should be a little kind of like calm before the storm uh, and not make it as like mechanic heavy. 
Uh, and I'm not saying everything needs to be super mechanic heavy or anything, but it's like you just you go uh, and I, I've just got it figured out. Like I just grab G horn. I shoot one rocket at the Colossus, clear out all the dudes. And then by the time I clear him out, that dude spawned. I kill him and then I can grab the flag and run back and outrun the dogs. And it's just like I do that every single time. And each time I because I'm almost always the runner. Um, every time that I do it, it gets it's like I don't change that formula and there's nothing interesting. And I almost kind of wish that it was like um, the caretaker encounter in uh, Vow of the Disciple, mm-hmm. where each time you're running, the room you go into gets progressively more like there's like pitfalls and the jumps you have to make are a little more tedious and you have to actually think about what you're doing. And so like I really wish that each sequence, like that area that you go up to is like more and more like falling apart. And there's just like floating platforms you have to do, like, you know, you have to kind of like quickly jump to them. I It just but it's like you just do the same thing three times in a row. Uh, and so it's a little it's a little boring to me. Um, but what I actually dislike about it the most is it seems about 50 percent of the time the enemies that spawn kind of in the room that you have to clear out in order to get the the dude to 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 spawn so you can kill him so you can spawn the flag. They will do some crazy glitchy stuff sometimes where they will just appear at the bottom of the stairs like you've run past them uh, or they'll like I, I've died to more BS like shield bash against statues and deaths kind of in that area that it's just like infuriating. And I think that's what makes me dislike the run more than anything is that it's just like there's too many of those phalanxes in there. And I know that's like part of the difficulty of it, if you will. But it's more just like obnoxious. Like I hate getting physics in this game sometimes. And this like exacerbates that rage more than anything else. When a phalanx you didn't see just sort of spawns behind you and then smacks you against something that you don't think should kill you, but it does. Uh, that that makes me want to throw my controller more than anything else in the game. I've never yeah. thrown my controller, by the way. I just the the <laughs> the urge and sensation to want to do it is there because of that like event. I yeah, I and, totally and, understand that. I sympathize. And, and it happens it more times than it should. Yes. Mm. Yes, it does. Physics are are weird. Robert, did you experience that same thing at all? Um yeah, I guess so. But to me the 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 part I didn't like the most was the random snipers once you're coming out. Yes. Um I feel like that's the same issue I have with the crossbows. It's like I mean you you spawning five snipers that are gonna one shot me is not difficulty, it's just BS. Yep. Uh, which which ends up making you kind of zigzag and run like sliding and run behind things and okay whatever fine. But again, that's not difficulty in my eyes. Yeah. I and I also didn't like that you have to kill all the ads. Like I can get there and kill the big guy and he doesn't drop the thing until all the little dogs are dead. Right. It's like, just let me have it, and then I can try to make my way out, right? And if I don't, I don't. But I don't know. I just felt like that was kind of like a necessary waste of time. Sure. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate on the, on the sniper thing really quick. I totally understand, especially the crossbows, of course. I would say I don't mind the snipers, just personally. I think it makes me like think about like my setup and like my armor mods and stuff. Like if there's like enough snipers, I might have to evaluate like which like damage resistance mod I want to put on like my chest piece or whatever. Like, oh, do I want like two sniper resistance or do I want like solar resistance or whatever? 
Um, and I think it like forces you to consider the whole chess game concept of like which pieces do you want to take down first when you enter a room you know depending on how much of a threat each enemy is i i make a point for considering things but we have the armor mod in the season that is uh two elements right now right which which is what everybody will probably be running and if you actually want to be uh you know ideal setup would be have that one and then have the other piece be the opposite because we had the same last season so then you have resistance to all three elements mm-hmm. and element elemental resistance is always going to be better than sniper because the, the issue that happens with the sniper resistance is that it's not protecting you from snipers it's protecting you for damage after a certain range but like as you're running towards the exit of the room, the sniper no longer becomes a sniper. So your sniper assistant is doing nothing for you because you're too close to him anyway. So he's going to do full damage on you. Oh, is that like, actually how it works? Why, I didn't know that. Yeah, it, it works after 24, 24.5 meters. So oh. basically the ideal setup is always going to be an elemental resistance and concussive dampener because usually things are going to be close to you. Gotcha. Or exploding, or grenades, or you know things like that. Yeah. So sniper I, resistance sounds good in on, in theory, but it actually, I mean, at least me in my theory crafting is like is not what I would use most 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 of the times. Interesting. I thought it applied to the enemy itself, like I no, thought no, like raiders yeah, and like distance the sniper based. snipers. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Interesting. Rob, how do you feel about snipers? Well, you know how I feel about one shots and gms and sure. <laughs> uh I, yeah i mean i tend to tend to agree with you robbie that it's just kind of like it's like a i don't know the whole the whole that whole sequence of like running wiping that that room getting the flag getting chased by the dogs most of the time i just jump over them because it's like why it's like yeah. the timing on it's weird because you can almost immediately nuke that uh guy to get the flag to appear so they don't actually present any kind of challenge, but then you're grabbing it, which takes a few seconds. So usually almost one dog always like lunges at me. Uh, but then I just jump over them. And then while I'm like dodging and weaving, I'm getting sniped and I've gotten killed once or twice by it. And it's like, you don't want to stop to pick them off, but you kind of have to, because otherwise you might just get killed on your route back. So I, I get annoyed by it. Like I, I definitely not a fan. Sure. I get that. It, it's, it's a repetitive encounter. Yeah. I, I, I like what you said about it changing from phase to phase. Yeah. Because when you're doing something three times and when you have to do it three times, it's not like a like a boss where you like if you're good enough, you can actually like one phase it. Yeah. When they, when they force you to do it three times, it definitely should change from from phase to phase yeah. to make it a little. A little and that's and that's I mean, that. I could be wrong and you could probably come up with counter examples, but that's typically, it feels like that's what they do in these kind of like vault sequences where you have to do some kind of where it like iterates on it. Although the first encounter of Val the Disciples, the same thing, right? You just do the same thing three times three times, yeah. um, with no real change to the like geometry or map or enemies or anything like that. And it just seems like it'd be kind of like if the enemy had more health or, but instead it's like, no, as soon as I get up the stairs, I just shoot a rocket launcher, take care of all the, the phalanxes and then just fusion rifle the next guy to spawn. And then like, I'm out of there. And it's like, I just do the exact same thing every time. Now you could also make the counter argument of like, but you can, because the, uh, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with the loot, 
the Storm Chaser, which is the new type of fusion rifle archetype, uh, is part of that. And people people farm the hell out of this encounter because you can actually do it pretty quickly uh, and painlessly. Uh, so maybe it's like, yeah, the encounter itself is not great, but I think most people kind of like that you can shut your brain off and just yeah. run through it three times, get your get your storm chaser, go to orbit, reload, grab but like that's not a that's not a uh, like a, how how to say it. That's not a symptom of it being good design. It's actually I know. just I know I'm being symptom. sarcastic. Or- yeah, but but it's because literally, and I'm gonna mention this already, and this is like where my whole dungeon thing ends for me. Kind of like it, it's oh, so on the other one the one previous dungeon we had everybody was farming the last boss right right on this one this linear fusion is the end all be all of all the weapons in here nothing else matters besides this one like in my eyes is is the arc one the only one we had before was the tarantula which actually was being used a lot precisely because we didn't have any other arc linear fusion right and then this one being craftable and then having things like clan cartridge, rapid hit, and then you have on the other, you have firing line or vorpal, you know? So, I mean, what else do you want? Like, <laughs> this is my exotic. Like, this is, what I want is five red border drops of this one. Maybe you can't craft it. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, sorry. I got super confused, yeah. I mean, um, I didn't mean craft it. I was thinking about the other stuff, sorry. I okay. mean, uh, farming it. Oh, farming yeah, yeah. it is my farming it is my like the end goal of this dungeon is basically farming the the storm chaser. The storm chaser. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Okay. So, so the appeal is that it's like easy enough and like simple enough that it can just be farmed for a good weapon. Yeah, and I don't. I, I I should take a step back. I don't think that's why an encounter should be fun because you can farm it for one particular godly weapon. Which, by the way, I'm assuming it's going to get nerfed. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure because, it will. Because it is. I mean, like any other. I mean, I've I've had some pretty good discussions with some folks in my clan. Um, because they're 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 convinced that they're not going to touch it because it's got such horrible like stats. But like that hasn't stopped them in the past. If you can, if you can two phase or one phase the caretaker because everyone's running uh, that weapon, storm chaser, then there's obviously like a best in class, and it's not exotic. Uh, and so I, I'm assuming by the end of the season, like it's gonna have its time in the, the sun, and then by the end of the well, season, but they it's never out of there. touched the threaded needle, and it was doing the same thing. If you had like an actual well, they touched they, they they eventually touched Vorpal. It, right and that, okay. that brought it down but yeah. this this sort of and like that's why that's why actually the pve gotral for this one is not vorpal but firing line exactly which was actually fixed because it wasn't working remember right so i mean what are they gonna do like break it again <laughs> i don't know i, yeah, I, don't I, know. Know. I yeah I, I think they're just gonna probably bring the damage down on it because it's a it's a new archetype too right it's that weird like yeah. pulse pulse rifle version yes uh so I actually haven't gotten one yet, um, but I just, like I said, I just assume that it's eventually going to get touched. Um, yeah, not, not too much, I, I but not. it's going to... I hope not, because it's, a, it's a, like, again, to, to me, that's like the most interesting weapon of the whole uh, loot table. It's cool. Yeah, I I think it will get nerfed. I mean, whether we like it or not, I feel like part of the reason Threaded Needle wasn't 
touched was because that was, I believe, that was the par- season of particle deconstruction, wasn't it? Right. That was the season of linear fusions. Yeah. And that was kind of like the big power fantasy that I feel like they were like aiming for. But it but, still uh, is. I mean, I, I feel like right now there's two ways you go. You, you either go with a linear fusion or actually double linear fusion sometimes with Arbalist, or you go with like the Galahorn. Right. With, yeah. But but yeah, G Horn's right. risky in, some, in a lot of these encounters. They're yeah, like right up in exactly. your face. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, but 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 that's also kind of an interesting. You bring up a good point. Not to tie a side tangent, but this has had a pretty healthy blend of like what's meta is because I've done I've done these encounters with swords, rocket launchers, and linear fusion rifles, and all mm-hmm. have sort of been equally viable. Um, I mean, rocket launchers you definitely run the risk of like point blank rocketing yourself but uh you can still do it with each of the encounters you can stand far enough back and still do well um so that i mean there is a something you want if you want to say it's like a testament to the design of these encounters is that you're not restricted into using just one thing um yeah no definitely not that's true that's true as a testament to the sandbox too yeah the current state that it's in yeah i mean like actually swords with chain reaction on this thing they're (laughs) they're amazing i love it Chain reaction on what? On a sword for, for this dungeon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So many garbage ads that you can just slice yeah. through. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I like that. I like chain reaction. I have fun with it in rocket launchers and, and grenade launchers. So let's talk about the, while we're on the topic of loot, there's also another weapon that can drop from this encounter. It's the uh, Void Submachine Gun, Unforgiven. Did either of you guys get a chance to get one of these? Nope. No, me neither. Mm. I no. have I have probably gotten I'm not trying to to like pity myself. Probably 85% of my drops have been armor. Wow. Uh, every every run I've done. I've gotten yeah. two epicureans, two fixed odds, neither of which not, were red borders, so that sucks. Uh I got a handful of the lingering dreads and then everything else has been armor. So I haven't gotten any of the new weapons except for the grenade launcher uh and a ton of armor. Dang. Yeah. That, Which is another thing I wanted to kind of talk about in like final thoughts because the loot pool is like weird and people are arguing that it's like weighted weird way yeah. too much towards armor. Well, uh, yeah, I think I, I agree with that. Let's talk about it now. Well, we've got the loot table pulled up. I'm looking the at armor. it. Yeah. So, you know, the first two encounters, three out of the five uh, pieces of loot they could get, for example, for the Sorrow Bearer one. You can get a helmet, you can get arms, you can get legs, or you can get the Epicurean or Lingering Dread. And so three out of the five of those are armor pieces, which isn't great. It should be one or two. Uh, The second encounter is the same way. Two weapons, three armor pieces. And the third encounter is is much better, I should say. There's one, two, three, four, five, six weapons you can get, not including the exotic. And then there's you can get any of the armor pieces, though. One, it sucks because there's new purpose, which is the pulse rifle and fixed odds, the heavy machine gun. You can only get from the third encounter. That seems like a problem to me. I know with Grasp of Avarice, you can only get A.S. Luna um, in the the boss, which, you know, A.S. Luna is kind of a a sacred thing to a lot of people. So it kind of makes Mm. sense that it was a little more scarce. But it's like there's no reason like the, the, the loot pool should be like swapped a little bit. Like you should only get two pieces of armor. Uh, per first and second encounter, and then have 
have all the weapons. Like there's not there's not the yeah. coveted and, and and considering the exotic is also a drop from the third encounter. Yeah. Uh like it it's just it's a bad decision. Um like why why are arms in all three encounters? Yeah. That I mean that that's doesn't mm. make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was cutting the grass the other day. I don't know why it came to me then. But it really feels like the hockey armor should have been part of Grasp of Avarice because it kind of feels like industrial, Cosmodrome. like yeah, Cosmodrome-y, yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's all kind of blocky. And then the thorn-based armor would have matched the aesthetic of the weapons in this way more. Like I mean, same I, with the weapons. I'm talking about the SMG that we left uh, right now in conversation, but that SMG... Looking at it, it's a void SMG, right? With right. which demolitionist, it's got golden tricorn, adrenaline junkie, so things that work really well with void 3.0, right? Uh, and and yeah, we'll we'll talk about the sword later, but I feel like yeah, th- this dungeon feels like it should have been released last season, right? Well, I I will yeah. say I will say I appreciate that they are continuing to release like there's that new um, perk. For like you know how how uh, solar got incandescent this season, yeah. and yeah. void got uh, whatever it's called the one that if you like, I feel like I'm embarrassed for not even being able to recognize it right now because I haven't really used it a whole lot. Um, a repulsor brace uh, defeating a void debuff target grants an overshield. Like that's cool. That's a cool like void 3.0 thing that that supports that. And yeah, it would have been cool to get it last season. We also got so much stuff last season that I'm okay with getting it now. Like at least it doesn't feel like, okay, we're done with void. We're just going to abandon it and move on to solar. Like yeah, they're, still re- they're still yeah. releasing things that, that support void. And I hope that they do yeah. that. Like it'd be cool yeah. next season. If we got something that uh, is a new solar type thing, that's not like incandescent, but does something else that maybe grants radiance or, you know, just something that kind of keeps building into the the solar or the subclasses like it'd be cool to get another kind of void type thing where maybe you debuff enemies if you get enough shots on them or something like that like just do something that kind of keeps feeding the the build crafting um but i agree with you it would have made sense to get it more last season uh but it's it just kind of is how everything works out um uh, but yeah i i think the the armor is so bizarre the the design they made or the design choice they made yes yes it is it's pretty ugly on the on the topic to rewind really quick because I want to go back to the loot table thing just to compare. Yes, yeah, yeah. To prophecy's loot table is pretty good in terms of like distribution between weapons and armor. The first encounter, you sniper and the hand cannon. Yeah, you get sniper hand cannon or legs or class item. Then the second encounter, you get sidearm or auto rifle or arms. And then the last encounter, you get like I think one of the moonfang armor set pieces. Right. And then the final chest, you get two weapons or three armor pieces, and I think that's that's a much better distribution of. Yeah, it's completely stuff. opposite because that one, the one that you don't farm, is the second one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. No one wants the sidearm. Um, but yeah, the, the distribution is is a little funky. And I will say, Rob, I liked what you said about the fact that. I like that they're not abandoning Void 3.0. Right. You know, I, I I like that they're not just making like a season specific thing like they yeah. sometimes do. And right. That this is going to be a continuous thing that gets uh you know crossed over through through the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean like we're gonna we're gonna get 
we're like, I, I understand that like development takes a lot of time. I, these ideas, they have to get fleshed out and they probably have to play with them in the sandbox and go through some kind of like iterative process on all these things. And, you know, they're, they're probably sitting on 15, 20, 50 ideas for each of these subclasses of like, what do we introduce? What makes more sense? What kind of aligns with the, the artifact uh, mods? Like, what do we make sure that we don't release too many things that end up breaking the game? Like, there's there's so many moving parts that I I get yeah. that like we don't get everything all the time and it also kind of makes things interesting because it's like oh look there's still a reason to play with the void because there's this new void perk that like I I mean by the sounds of it it kind of sounds like it might be useful in GMs to give yourself an overshield by like weakening a target and then defeating it um like it seems there's a lot of value in there I haven't played with it but it seems like it'd be cool and it's neat that they're like they're giving they're giving void more of like an identity with certain weapons like and and same with they did with solar and incandescent so i i'm okay mm -hmm. with it um yeah and stasis is getting the same treatment too even right yeah it's, it's absolutely like chill clip and whatever right yeah yeah so that's cool Now that we've talked about the second encounter, the vault, let's bring back Elemist and we'll dive into the lore of this dungeon. So my big question that I thought of when playing this was, so there's, there's three like cabal bosses that you have to take down and they all have specific names. Who are they? I mean, do these names mean anything or are they just like, just random cabal that you fight? Cause they're nightmares. So I was wondering if they had any particular significance. They actually do mean something. Um, so the the enemy names, like the 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 personal names, don't actually mean anything. It's the tag after the comma that that means something. There's one who is um, tied to a character named Shayutet. There's one name or one that is tied to. Molly, Imoli, and then one tied to, I believe, Imunarath. Mm -hmm. I believe um, so. And, and those three are all people who were part of the Midnight Coup. The gotcha. Midnight Coup um, was essentially the Cabal deciding to boot Callus out of power. Um, they exiled him onto the Leviathan and said, Leave now. And, and then, yeah, there, he was locked on that ship and sent to the edge of the universe, right? Yes. Cool, 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 cool. And that whole story was all part of like the original Leviathan's lore. Yep. Gotcha. And the hand cannon is, of course, named after that. The right. famous hand cannon that everyone loves. Well, that's super cool. So who are... Um, Umanarath has some significance, right? Yeah, you probably recognize it from, I believe the lore book was um, Empress. Yes. And it was from Season of the Chosen. Mm -hmm. And in the lore book, it detailed um, how Torobottle fell. Torobottle, the, the homeworld of the Cabal, fell because Amunarath found a, a tome of hive magic started reading it and she summoned 
Zivu Arath. So these three characters all being part of the Midnight Coup kind of ties into the whole shame of failure sort of theme that seems to be connected with Galron, correct? Exactly. Gosh. And maybe also anger. And anger? Frustration, perhaps? Maybe. So anger, how so? What's, what's your interpretation here? Well, I mean, they, they formed a coup and overthrew him. Like, they exiled him from oh, his home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's mad at them, quite simply. Just like... Yeah. Yeah. They did something bad to him, and he's angry at them. Okay, yeah, for sure. So throughout this encounter, Callus is... Uh, every time we make progress in opening this vault, Callus is, like, yelling at us. He's like, no, please don't open the vault. So what's the deal with him you know, being so against us opening it. We've never really seen him show too much emotion, um, negative emotion like this, especially in a, a vulnerable position. So wh- why why is this vault so special to him? I think it's because it holds his greatest shame. Yes, that makes sense. And he doesn't want us as the guardians to see it because... Because I guess, does does he want us to see him as as like a god? I guess, and maybe perhaps seeing his greatest shame, he would become less of a god in our eyes. For one thing, I mean, yeah, that that could play into it as well. But for another, he's trying to win favor with the witness. Mm-hmm. And if we are able to actually figure out, you know, what his greatest shame is, he's, he might be afraid that we try and use it against him. Oh, I see. I see. So he's afraid of us having information, like blackmail material against him, essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Some, something to use that the witness wouldn't, wouldn't like. Exactly. Or would paint callous in a negative light in, in one way or another. Especially since he's still, tr- or at, as far as I'm aware, he's still trying to win favor. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Rob, there's not a whole lot to dive into with this encounter, but did you have anything that uh, stood out to you that you wanted to, to discuss? No, I, I think... It, do we know... What... So we, we talked about Uman Aroth or whatever. I mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna butcher these till there's no end inside, of course. Um, <laughs> so she read a tablet and that allowed for the the hive to did that basically paint a target on the cabal? Or were the hive always kind of targeting the cabal and this was just the opportunity? Like is there is there kind of like a long term plan there, or was it sort of a we'll call it a crime of opportunity where it's like, Hey, these are a warfaring faction that we should probably wipe out and take care of. This is of course, from the perspective of the hive, like, I guess like, was there a specific motivation to take out the cabal and attack Trabottle? Uh, or was it just kind of like, it just so happens that Omen or Rath summoned the hive and it was like, well, we're here. We might as well end them. Or was it like, did they know that because Callus was a part of the cabal and he was doing some shady stuff with the darkness and like, well, so the hive are just trying to end all existence for everything and, and okay, that's fair. Shape. 
That's fair. Um, but with that being said, Savathun is all about trickery. And right. so if she's able to trick, you know, uh, uh, anybody, it feeds her worm. And what better civilization to fight for the hive god of war, Zivu Arath? Sure. Like, essentially, she was trying to also help her sister. To, like, gain tribute, or however that works? Essentially, to feed their worm. Okay, gotcha. Um, they have to stick to their nature in order to keep the worm satisfied. Mm. And so the more killing that they do, the or the more trickery that Sabathun did, the better fed their worm was. So why would Sabathun try to help her sister in that i guess it makes sense because they all love each other but like i thought i thought i read somewhere that like the sword logic or something meant that like loving each other meant like killing each other or something yes and, and that's according to the sword logic from oryx's perspective okay there might be different variations of it we don't know okay gotcha so so yeah, so I guess the sword logic is is a blueprint, like a like a religious blueprint, but like different entities have different interpretations of said blueprint. I suppose. I, I don't know if that makes like, sense. <laughs> think think of it like a religious um, set of of rules. Mm -hmm. You know, essentially, the sword logic is a religious or fanatical version of survival of the fittest. Gotcha. They're trying to become that final shape. They want to be the fittest thing there so they can survive. Mm -hmm. So this, this encounter doesn't have a whole lot to dive into. So this might be a good time to ask them some of my miscellaneous questions that don't really fit in an encounter per se. So I was wondering if those, those memory fragment things uh, that you collect throughout the, the dungeon so they're like there's some physical object, and I was wondering if these physical objects, not not the audio, obviously the audio means something because it's like a, a deep, you know, and analysis of like Callus's mind or whatever, some deep Callus secret. But like the physical object that you collect, I was wondering if that had any significance. Not that I know of, but it looks like a, a splinter of darkness. As as far as the the physical part of it, like the, I don't think there is much significance mm -hmm. that we know of yet. I suppose, right? Yeah, gotcha. That makes sense. We only have so much information available to us at any given time, and there's a lot of things in Destiny that just don't have answers sometimes. Because video games. Mm hmm. And Destiny, just the way they like to tell their stories, you know? Yeah. Sometimes they'll just throw stuff at you and be like, well, it doesn't really make sense yet. And you're like, okay. And then maybe like three years later, you'll get like an explanation for it. And you'll be like, oh, interesting. All right. So moving on to the next piece of duality, there is another little, just briefly bring it up. 
there's another little intermediary section where we're kind of navigating the vault. So it's not, I'm not going to call it like a retread of the previous encounter because it's not the same. Uh, you're still, you're doing different stuff, but it's the same idea in the sense that it's a very light, like platforming, um, running around, uh, even lighter than the previous little intermediary section, I believe. And you're just kind of doing what you did in like the opening piece of the entire dungeon where you're just hitting bells, going to the alternate dimension, hitting bells, et cetera, et cetera, rinse and repeat. And you're just kind of exploring the uh, the whole, you know, Leviathan in this in this realm. And um, it's not it's not super in depth, but um, just briefly, what are you guys' thoughts on this? Either of you. I, so in comparison to other dungeons. Yeah. Really stuff. I mean, it's it's more of the same, but the vastness of the Leviathan, it's nice to it's nice to explore a completely different area and it still continues to sort of like do the jaw drop of like this thing is massive. I mean, it eats planets, so it seems like it would be massive, but you really get that sense like there's that part where you're jumping on what I assume to be like trusses or, or ribbing of part of like one of the main structures. And it's just this long, empty, vast, like nothingness. Uh, and you feel like you're barely making any kind of impact on just sort of exploring the small little section. So they do a great job of, and this is something they've always done really, really well. I mean, even when you go look at like the dreadnought, there's parts of that when you're doing like King's fall, where you just like, this place is massive. Uh, and they, they do a great job of kind of emphasizing that scale. Um, so I, I do like that where it's like, it just, it's that kind of reminding you of like, this place is huge and maybe we haven't even seen everything that this place has to offer yet, which is exciting uh, as a thought as well. So it's more of the same. I don't mind it, especially because at least some of the aesthetics like while you're exploring are somewhat different. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's it's something something to look at. It's a mm-hmm. it's a little break period provides a sense of scale for the environment that, that you're that's what I miss. So like the sense of I don't know, maybe, maybe again, just because we got the raid, right? That has also these these right. transitioning uh, spaces, yeah. but but those kind of offered you like a view on like, oh, I was all the way over there before. And, right. or, or you see the worm or you see the, you know, and this one is just like emptiness. And I, I get that you do get the feeling, but I feel like in contrast to that one, it really falls flat. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right on that. I'll, I'll give you that argument. It doesn't give you that, like, like uh, uh, Grasp of Avarice does a really good job where you can like, at the beginning, you can actually see where you're going to end up. Uh, and it gives you that sense of vastness. And same with Val of the Disciple. You get that gigantic sense of like, wow, this is, uh, we're going to be here a while. True. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to compare it. I'm trying not to compare the dungeons to yeah, the no, raids. Because I feel like the raids are on okay, a different yeah. level. Yeah. Well, like Val's insane in terms of like cool stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And like Last yeah. Wish. And like, I think all the raids are on like a, a different standard. So as, So as far as like, that goes i feel like it's okay if it's underperforming compared to like the rates i guess yeah no it's fair if that's fair but i do wish there was something in this dungeon that was like a fun little gimmicky thing like the sparrow encounter um just something because i feel like uh, a lot of the other ones had those and i thought they were really fun and they're usually a nice especially when you're doing these encounters that aren't solo encounters and you're doing them with like friends and stuff. It's always a nice little, little break. And yeah, it misses like the palate cleanser. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think palate cleanser is a great way to describe it. 
it's I don't know. I, it's it's not a big deal. Just something that you think about when you do like the same little platforming thing twice. Not the same, but when you do that twice, it's whatever. It's not no, a big you're, deal. You're you're not wrong. Uh, I definitely the that the palate cleanser is probably the best way to describe it for sure. I think so too. Yes, absolutely. So once you get through that, you get to probably one of the coolest little visual pieces of the whole dungeon. You stand in front of the kind of like the silhouette of the big uh, bell of conquest, I believe it's called. And I think there's like a little voice line or something from Callus. It's very cool. And you step down and it's revealed that the final boss and quote unquote Callus's greatest shame is Keitel. And you get to fight the nightmare of Keitel. And which is super cool. Honestly, I was not expecting Keitel necessarily to be included because they don't often bring um, main characters like that into the game sometimes because especially with dungeons, they don't like making like new models and stuff, new en- right. enemy types, if you will. So that was super cool to see. But this is a big encounter. Um, Robbie, what were your thoughts on the Keitel encounter? Um, well, it, it you know, I did fall back together to like, this is the same thing we did before. And so now we kind of know how to do it. I guess the only issues that I had on my first playthroughs was like learning that you have to stand near the bell. Like, so once you get, you know, uh, teleported to the other side and actually managed to get to the DPS phase, it's like, you, so you got to prevent the boss to basically going back. And then, so breaking the, the the bells and then, you know, actually doing DPS was the most different. I don't even know if I want to say different, but it was like, like the only change. I feel like the rest was kind of like very samey, samey to what we were doing before. So uh, it was it was cool, but it wasn't like that shocking, like in, in terms of like it being a fight, you know, uh, it didn't changed that much to me and just like mechanically arena, speaking yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. again Still it just feels like it didn't it didn't break that monotony or or add to to anything you know like that was yeah i don't know it, there was no revelation i guess in a way it just felt like the same mechanics again uh with a with a twist and and so that was a bit disappointing because you know it looks cool uh, and I, I feel like the arena, out of all the arenas in the in the dungeon, was actually the the best one. Mm-hmm. I I do enjoy that space more than the other ones for sure. I feel like the use of the columns and uh, like having to take cover behind things and, and start learning the spawns and preparing for them. And you know, being risky and and getting teleported while while being there to kill the Scion or not, uh, depending on kind of what you're doing with your team, it was it was it was fun to to learn the fight, mm-hmm. but it was more about like learning spawns and learning timing than learning mechanics because the mechanics again were basically the same. Can we retread? Yeah, fair enough. I one thing I liked about this fight. In terms of mechanics, I I love that we get to fight Keitel herself, and she's not just like a big bullet sponge. Kind of the same way that Rolk is kind of a an actual presence in terms of combat. Mm-hmm. So she actually like shoots you. And she's got like a I mean a stomp mechanic, but she like moves around and stuff. 
So you actually have to fight her. Like the, the stun mechanic is kind of cool. Um, I agree. It's definitely a bit of a, a retread and it suffers the same problem that prophecy and grasp have um, not, not as bad as grasp because it, I think it implements um, or what's, what's the word evolves more. Prophecy prophecy had something, though, because once you do the same thing again in Prophecy, then you go to the DPS phase, and it's a different thing. You know, yeah, you mean like the the platforms and all that stuff. Like, that was completely new. So, so yeah, you learn how to do the modes, and you learn how to do the dark and light from before, but then there's this new thing in the DPS phase, and this one didn't really have that, because it's the same thing with the belts as you were doing before. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, the, the boss is cool. I was surprised at how fast she is, Oh. Like, you know, yeah, she she, hauls, she can man. run, man. Can run. <laughs> I feel crazy. like okay, so so you're saying because there's a slight addition in the sense that Keitel like has him like there's like the stun mechanic and stuff, and you think that's not enough of a invention compared to the last encounter? Yeah, and I, I didn't feel like it was like that much of a stretch. Like it still sure. felt really samey samey to me. Okay, that's fair. Rob, what about you? Um, I mean, I, for the most part, agree with you guys. I, don't, I guess I don't disagree with what you're saying. But I'm not actually a... I, it's weird because the whole time you're taught to... When you're, in the, when you're in the... When you're in hell, you shoot the bell and that gets you out of there. And in here, you shoot the bell so you can stay in and stun her. And I'm not yeah. a fan of that. It seems a little counterintuitive uh, because it's definitely not like what you would try to do the first time. And and so you kind of like lose out on a damage phase. It's not about, oh, standing by the bell. Like, it seems like it'd be more like stand by the bell so you can stun her and then do damage on her. And then she like does something to the bell so you can't damage her anymore. So then you have to run to one of the other bells you can start damaging her. Like, that seems like that would make more sense and doesn't completely contradict the idea of shooting the bell keeps you in the room as opposed to shooting the bell gets you out of the room, uh, which I, like... And there's probably other instances where they've kind of done that, where they've, like, 180 the fundamental mechanic, but I don't like it for the dungeon, where it's like, oh, now we have to do something completely different. Oh, um, yeah, because she... I mean, as, as I understood it, it's like she wants to get to the bell to get out of there. So you're stopping her from right, going but then, back. But, but, then by you, you, but like what you're saying is like the same thing. But by you shooting the bell, you're the one who should go out, but you right, don't. So right. it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. So I understand the fact that you're stopping her from going back. Right. But the mechanic to do so doesn't make much sense. Yeah, Yeah. Right. exactly. It just, yeah. it seems kind of like slightly contradictory. And like I said, there's probably other instances where they've done that before where you don't actually use the thing the same way multiple times but it just like it stands out because it's like that's all you've done the entire dungeon is shoot the bell so you can transport uh between the two worlds and then now you're doing it so that you can stay there longer um fundamentally i i like the whole like the the arena's cool like you said the pillars like there's a good design to everything i like the giant bell uh all of that stuff is pretty cool uh it it feels a little hectic and chaotic for no reason. Like that seems like that's kind of the intent of the difficulty, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but it's just like un like an unending onslaught. And like you said, Robbie, once you figure out the spawns, nothing's too difficult. Uh, but it definitely it's a little just like okay, like it's a fun chaotic final fight. 
Um, and if you're really, really efficient, you can, this is one that like definitely rewards you for being more efficient and having a, a good team where you can just power through and like, okay, get us into the next room so we can grab two more flags. Okay. Get us in there again. So we can grab two more flags. Like it's, it's, it, it feels like you're rewarded for being efficient and you can certainly one phaser, uh, which is also kind of neat. Um, and like, it's just, I, it's more of like a meta commentary on like the design of the actual DPS where it's like counterintuitive. But I don't know, maybe there's some like in lore explanation of like, oh, because you ring the <laughs> you ring the big bell, that causes some kind of time fluctuation and blah blah blah, and here comes a nerd to explain it. Maybe that's the explanation. I don't know. But I, I just it's like I did not think of shooting the bells the first time. I thought we had to do something else to keep her in the room. Yeah. Um and that was a little like especially because you do have to do a little bit of effort to get to the damage phase. Uh and it's like if you if you screw it up and she yeets herself out of there, you're like, well, that was a complete waste, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Like the first times we didn't think of shooting the bell, and it's exactly what you said. Like we were not thinking about it because we were not being taught to right. do so. Um, right. So I mean, bad design or just right. an I, I don't know how to call it, but but yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting question. I wish I could comment on like. Our, our blind experience but we did it blind up until like this exact moment uh i don't know how much time we spent on keitel before we were like hey, rob we called you we we're like hey yeah. rob, can you come help us do this and you just explained explained how the how the bell worked but but yeah i'm sure it would have taken us a, a long time to figure out how that was supposed to work right i don't mind the mechanic itself though after you learn it no it, and, and it's cool because, like, if you all huddle together and you time it just right, you can absolutely nuke her. If you get her right, like, nice and close to you, you can you can lay on swords and just just go to town uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and very quickly one phaser, uh, which is cool. Like, uh, you know, a, again, high functioning team is rewarded for this encounter um, and how mm -hmm. quickly you can get it done. It's just. Yeah, it's a little counterintuitive i guess yeah i'm thinking about my first uh playthroughs of it my first playthrough i should say the first one was once we actually realized that she was running towards the bell then we destroyed the bell and that's why i'm saying like she's so fast because then she like literally sprinted to the other side and, and goes back right. anyway right and we're like okay so us all three of us shooting the same bell i guess doesn't do it so now we gotta separate and just destroy all the bells right uh, so, so, so it went from like don't shoot the bells to like now we all shoot the bells uh but then in between you know and and you know it as again it's not my favorite dungeon but it was you know fun to figure out and i think that's a thing that never changes in this game it's always sure. fun to figure things out and yes the only bad thing that i will say about this is that the mechanic being so counterintuitive um it just leads to more like and and i did this this week just to see what was new out there and i was looking you know through videos on youtube about uh people talking about the, the dungeon and, and all these things and there's so many guides you know like duality for dummies duality for new players duality the easy way everyone can do duality <laughs> it's like every every way possible just is the same thing but and i feel that that drops a lot of players from um the actual enjoyment of, of figuring it out so if i if i should say something about it is like for you know anybody listening out there it's like try to do it first and then watch the guide like just give it a go 
Yeah, I agree. Because it's fun to to you know knock your head against the wall for a while sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um because it trivializes the whole thing once you are once someone tells you if you've never done it before, but someone tells you, I feel like you know there's it, it just becomes so easy and uh, you kind of robbed yourself from the experience of it. Yeah. I think doing it blind is is definitely the way to go. I think it there's so much fun to be had doing it blind. It's all about the puzzle part of it. Especially since most, I don't want to say this for every encounter, but like, it feels like lately most of the encounters have been pretty figure outable. I know that's not a word. Yes. Um, but yes. like, like we, we haven't, we haven't had a spire of the stars in a long time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, or or even a ribbon like I know like I admittedly have never done ribbon before I've watched video guides on how to do it and I just like I've never no been able to find, yeah I've never <laughs> been able to find a team who wants to do it and I like at this point I'm kind of too afraid to ask mm -hmm. uh, but like I'm trying to think like Garden of Salvation there's nothing nothing crazy in there that can't be I would say intuitively figured out uh, certainly the new Vogue wasn't too bad uh what's the what's the deep stone crypt wasn't crazy um the vow of the disciple nothing in there was like like i would say pretty lately most of the mechanics have been pretty approachable and that it's not some like convoluted sequence of things that you have to do that because i think that's the other thing that alienates a lot of people is there's sort of this fear of like well i'm not smart enough to figure this out so i need to watch a video guide uh and i definitely had that mentality uh once or twice about certain like raid mechanics and it's like well, once you start doing it it's not too bad mm -hmm. uh and and you could make a case for like maybe that sort of like ruins it for the hardcore players because it's like there's no challenge or nothing difficult but i mean let's be honest most raid mechanics once you figure it out it's all about just kind of mastering it after that anyway so there's like very little challenge once you get it down and then mm -hmm. it's like running through vow of the disciple just kind of feels like oh, okay we're just going through the motions because but everyone knows how to so... fight rolk no, what? I, I I'd argue that that's the part that like people who actually like like okay, so let's say you figure out the mechanics, especially when something's new, right? Right. And then someone like you or someone like me or you know, I don't want to call us hardcore players or anything, but like people who actually like look at their builds and do all these you know theory crafting and stuff. Then that's the point where like okay, I know how it works, I know how to do it, but what if I use this instead of that? Why if I yeah. bring this gun instead of that? And that's kind of like the fun that we have going forward and. Even then, a lot of people um, don't do that. They'll just watch like a, a guide and literally use the same things that they see people using, right? Right. And and so again, there's no fun. They're like, okay, so this is the the fastest method that I saw on YouTube, and and so I bring this gun and I bring this subclass, and and that's it. Right. Uh, but I think that for you and I, even even just because like you gotta understand that some of these people who make really great guides out there, because there's you know there's really great players that that make content for for this game, obviously. Uh, but they have their play styles, and it might be right. completely different than yours because there's people who run around like mad, and there's people who are very stationary and right. prefer to have like long, long range weapons. You know, there's just people who are not comfortable with swords. There's people who kill themselves with grenade launchers every other shot. Right. Um, so, so, <laughs> so that's why I'm saying like it, it doesn't really end there once you're like, okay, so this is the mechanic. I feel like there's still a lot of that progress that you make toward like your and i'm not going to say ideal setup because there's probably you know ideal setups for things depending on the season but like 
the setup that you have more fun with that makes it you know the easiest because you're having fun with it so you're saying the true end game is not necessarily figuring out the mechanic it's more how do you master the encounter and get it done faster and do your cool build crafting and optimal like you're yeah. saying that's okay. And I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you at all on that. I'm just trying to say like, it's, it's hard to like, I don't want to speak for the general population because you're never going to be able to do that, but there's a lot of different players and like some people are probably, I mean, there's some people who still have never done a single raid in this game. And that's unfortunate because like, I think we all kind of generally agree that raids are probably like one of the best parts, if not the best part of this game and franchise. Yeah. Um, and like, it, it it's crazy to me to to think of people haven't done a raid um but it's also like it's it's that sort of intimidation factor and i would say something like duality i would say grasp of avarice is probably the best example of like approachable mechanics of like if you were to say what's the first dungeon that you should do i'd probably say grasp of avarice um but this is probably a close second because it it is a relatively simple like building off of mechanics a lot of emphasis on just like, can you survive in these rooms uh, and and beat t waves and waves of enemies? So it's it's kind of fun. It's not super like mechanic heavy. Uh, and I think they like. For the most part, they've done a pretty good job recently of not making convoluted mechanics. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. It's not convoluted, but dare I say, and I'm not saying this is a, a bad thing. I like it. Um, dare I say this is the most mechanically involved of the dungeons, though? I'd say. Yeah, Prophecy doesn't have much going on. Grasp is the easiest, I'd Grasp say. Grasp is the easiest. Pit of Heresy is just a lot of, like, the three sword things. Mm -hmm. In Pit of Heresy, you need one person knowing what to do, and then two people following right. around. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Shat Shattered Throne yeah. is, like, pick Same up thing. an orb and dunk it so you can do damage. That was a little more involved, I guess, just because each of the encounters are different from each other. Yeah, but even then, it's like trying to explain to someone how to do duel and Karu is like, okay, there's going to be three giant knights, kill them all kill at the them same and time, then kill the their orbs, and then <laughs> damage her. Oh, we didn't kill her in one phase, which like I don't think anyone can't do nowadays. But it's like, oh, dunk it in the fire at the last second, like, and then rinse and repeat. Like that's that's what? that encounter. It's faster to just wipe it than to kill the attack. <laughs> Probably. I, I would say this might actually be one of the more mechanic heavy uh, dungeons. I would say involve, not mechanic heavy, because I feel like there's other encounters that have like arguably better mechanics than this. But I feel like the optimization on this one does need, like, it, it allows for three people in three separate locations. And I think I mentioned this before doing different things. Whether the other ones, and like Pit of Heresy, like, like you know the shadow realm and stuff like if you know how to do it you can literally be like just follow me and then just kill stuff and, and then you're the one doing the thing right. or the one leading the, the the group from here to here to doing this even in the boss encounters you know like oh the witch we go kill the witch i pick up the thing i don't even have to tell you what to do just shoot stuff right uh, but on this one you could do the same it will take you you know three times as long but if people know what they're doing then everybody goes to their little room and then they do their thing everyone's got a uh, role so yeah, yeah so in that sense it, it is definitely more involved per player like you can have like an actual thing you like doing you know because there's i and my runs have been like there's the one guy who loves staying outside and just killing the the bell 
guys and just killing ads and stuff. And then there's the guys who don't want to do that and they just want to go inside and, and do the the science and the running around. And then they're more like maybe specced for like boss DPS. Mm-hmm. It takes me like five seconds to explain like the opening encounter of Prophecy, but it would take me much longer to explain like the opening encounter of Duality. I feel like Galron has a lot more going on than yeah, prophecy. That's true. There's there's kind of more steps to get to damage. The the fundamental mechanic of like jumping between the two rooms and grabbing a flag, not much there, but the actual sequence that you have to execute them is a little a little more involved. So you're yeah. correct in that. Yeah. I mean, because like prophecy, it's just like I remember I actually I we did this with some people, or at least one person who hadn't done it before. You know, you just you stand in a light, kill stuff, dunk them in the the light spot and then right. rinse and repeat and then kill the guy. But with Galron, yeah, like there's a sequential order to everything. And there's, there's a lot of little things that all add up. I, I don't know. I found this one more mechanically involved. And I, I liked that aspect of it. Yes. I, I would still say though, fundamentally when you're comparing it to a raid, which I know is not fair, but it's like, it's still, you can explain it in one, one or two sentences without, needing to go off on too many tangents whereas like certain certain raid mechanics i feel like you're writing a paragraph or two just to explain yes. like how to get to damage phase let alone how you're actually going to damage them like yeah well i mean part of the problem with when you're designing a dungeon as opposed to a raid is that at least with their philosophy um dungeons have to be soloable yeah that's true speaking yep. so you know it's got to be simple enough to a point where you know someone can realistically solo it i guess yep you're absolutely right so good point it's really good point one last thing i wanted to say is like a lot of people for example in the shadow realm like to get to the first boss going from like symbol to symbol and figuring out where to go next like a lot of people don't think about that as the boss fight but that's literally the mechanics to get the boss to come out uh it just feels a bit you know, long. So, but but in reality, that's the whole encounter is just going from place to place. I would say that you're definitely right, but I feel like, and, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, like that one and maybe the pit of heresy for me, those two specifically feel more like raid light mechanics and these ones feel like dungeon mechanics. Yeah, that's fair so now that we've talked about the final boss of the dungeon Keitel, Kallus' greatest shame let's bring Elemis back and we're going to talk lore of this encounter so there's a good amount to dive into here because this was a, a bit of a surprise to see Keitel as the final boss of the dungeon. So one thing, this is kind of an odd question, but um, I noticed that Keitel is wearing these uh, these like little flag things, like flag or like feather things sticking out of like her like neck or something, like her armor. Uh, she's wearing them on the back of her, and we've never really seen that before as far as I can tell. So I was wondering if there was any significance to that, or maybe this is just like her her battle armor we've just never seen her in battle i was wondering what the deal with those uh the feather things she was wearing was i'm not aware of any significance um 
but I, I think it is her battle armor. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's some kind of decoration on that. That's what I was thinking, because we've never seen her in battle and this uh, until now. And it would make sense if she's got some like some ceremonial thing she she wears into battle, perhaps for like, I don't know, symbolic reasons or like moral reasons or traditional reasons, perhaps yeah. like she has to wear a certain thing in a battle because honor, whatever, you know, right. So would make sense. Um, so one of the big. Uh, I don't know. It might be the wrong word for it, but like set pieces of this fight is the big the big bell of conquest, I believe it's called. What's the uh, what's the significance of the bell of conquest here? I, I guess. Um, what what is a bell of conquest in the first place? So, uh, essentially, bells of conquest are kind of like cabal made trophies whenever they go into battle. Um, we actually had a bell of conquest back in season of the chosen. It yes. was part of it was our artifact, and on that. Um, there's actually a snippet that I want to read that kind of describes what it was used for. Go for it. Uh, the Bell of Conquests was a less grisly chronicle of the victories of its owner. Unadorned bells were given to warriors at their first blood. Those who wished to challenge a warrior in combat would request their bell and ring it seven times. Huh, that's cool. So what's so the like, significance then, I guess, in the sense of uh, in Keitel's position here? Honestly, it, we don't have any official word on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just what's my your head, interpretation, I guess? My headcanon is he views Keitel as his biggest victory. Like just okay. her being who she is was his biggest victory. Mm-hmm. So kind of, uh, I guess, referencing the title of the dungeon, Duality, in a sense that she's kind of his greatest shame, in the sense that, I guess, he kind of, like, failed her, I guess, by, like, turning against him, but also the fact that she did turn against him and, like, the way that she is as, like, such an accomplished, successful warrior also happens to be his greatest victory. Slash pride, I suppose. Exactly. I like that interpretation. That's cool. That makes sense. Do you think? Do you think that Keitel will potentially be the first Cabal Lightbearer? Kind of a, a little spin foil hat theory, if you will. Do you think that Keitel could be the first Cabal Lightbearer? And how do you feel about it? Either way, I'm all for it. Um. Well, I. I, I have to back that up. I'm all for the Cabal being light bearers. I'm all for the Elixni being light bearers. Um, Keitel specifically, I it would be cool, but it would also mean that she has to die. True. You would have her entire past wiped. And I'm all on board for Zavala and Keitel. <laughs> <laughs> Zydel? Is that their... Zydel. Is that their couple name? Absolute power couple. Zidal. 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 There you go. That's better. <laughs> or Kavala. Ooh, that one's better. 
Kavala. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one. I think you're you're right in this. In I agree with you. Where it's like I wouldn't want them to wipe out Keitel's past because I, I don't really want a retread of Crow's story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if we need to see that same arc again. I I like what they're doing with with Keitel grappling with her past. You know, in the present moment. Exactly. You know, she's she's grappling with her her past in a lot of the same way that Crow was, but it's also very different because she actually made those choices. She, you know, Mm -hmm. that was, that was her. Mm -hmm. Whereas Crow, it was a completely different person. Exactly. Same body, different persona. Mm -hmm. For sure. Rob, do you have anything uh, you wanted to, to, uh, to interrogate Elmist about here or anything you (laughs) wanted to bring up? Uh, no, no, I think, I think you, you kind of touched on the, the, the kind of the key questions. Um, I'm trying to think like the, the biggest one that I had were the, the bells of conquest. And I think we kind of talked about like, like, cause it's, it's like kind of an old tradition that the cabal don't really have anymore, but you know, maybe for the sake of of again, we're trying to dive into the the psyche of of Callus here, and that he's got all these these bells of conquest, and he's like holding on to them for the old the good old times, the good old <laughs> days, um, and that's what's kind of floating through his head because that was kind of the big question that I had initially is like, what are these bells, and why are there so many of them around the the dungeon, um, and uh, like. I think we kind of talked about that. So that was like, that was what was keeping me up at night. Um, the feather things on uh, Keitel, not so much, but I'm glad we talked about them anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's just something I was curious I, about. Well, you know, it's so, so boilers, I guess. We're recording this after the kind of quote unquote final seasonal mission, and Keitel does have the feathers there. And so I she think does. it is just purely a battle thing. Um, like that's just her, her fancy armor that she puts on. Um, mm-hmm. we'll talk about the, the final mission another time, but, uh, will. I, I plan to, I have no, thoughts. Well, I, I can't wait to hear your thoughts. <laughs> no, but, uh, I think it's, it's, it's a neat dungeon. Um, and you know, kind of before we, we recorded the podcast, we were kind of talking about like each dungeon and kind of like what the flavor is and what the theme is. And this is, this is kind of neat because. I've never really cared much about the Cabal as like a major threat. Uh, I know it sounds bad. Like even during the Red War, it was kind of like. Felt like they just sort of won through like a shock. Uh, offense and through like attrition initially, but then we we fought back and it felt like that was kind of the extent of their abilities. I think what makes the Hive and the Vex such compelling. um enemies is because they use like paracausal space magic to to always sort of like it always seems like there's another oh there's the granddaughter of oryx oh there's the great granddaughter of of oryx oh they're always pissed and want revenge and all that stuff so like you kind of have this like like okay it's interesting as an enemy because like i mean they're literally a hive of like they're they're giant monster alien bugs that keep coming back and you can't just squish one out without 
10 taking their place. Uh, and same with the Vex, like they travel through time, so they're scary and intimidating. But like the Cabal I've never viewed as a threat, but this dungeon at least kind of made me care about some of their plights and, and kind of some deep dive stuff. Um, so I like that. Like, it's kind of interesting to kind of talk about all these things in the Bells of Conquest. So yeah, that's my my final two cents about it. I'm surprised. I'm not trying to shit on your opinion. I'm just I'm surprised that you <laughs> thought the uh, the Vex are a more compelling villain than the Cabal. I I always thought that the Vex were the lamest ones personally. Because I so I th- we'll we'll go off on a little side tangent here. Uh, I like Star Trek TNG, and I always thought the Borg were kind of an interesting thing. Um, and this, uh, the Vex always kind of remind me of the Borg because they're like a hive mind, uh, and like they, they like share like a consciousness across each other. And it feels like they're always trying to adapt to like whatever the new thing is, right? Like they even like the Vex built one of their own things to be like taken so it could understand the, the sword logic and all that stuff. Like that's just kind of a cool concept to me. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and like the Vex. It, it when you're looking at like, okay, this game is supposed to last for ten plus years, and how do you make villains that can keep coming back or have like a villain of the month? And it seems like with the hive and the vex, the way they've sort of designed them, that there's never going to be any shortage of them. But like with the fallen and or excuse me, the elixni and the cabal, <laughs> like it feels like there's a limited number of them. Uh, and after like eight years of fighting the Cabal. I'm like, how many more left are there of them? And I understand now, like, oh, well, now they're cloning Cabal because they're literally running out. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting, compelling aspect to them. And like the Fallen, like, yeah, we're not we're not wiping out the Fallen so much anymore because like there's got to be a limited number of them left in the universe uh, in order for it to be interesting and, and almost kind of feel scarce. Um, and, and I think that's with like the Hive and the Vex, you can kind of get away with that because it's like, they're you know a little more space magicy in in terms of their existence. So yeah, just the, the but they they found a way for me to be a little more interested with the cabal in terms of enemies because they are like giant space turtles and it's like a little goofy when you really think about it. But it's cool. Okay, sure. Elmas, yeah. what's your take? Uh, I like the cabal as an enemy. Okay, but they they are lower on the the in the ranks for me. Um, I always loved the Elixni and how they were structured. Um, and the Hive. Talking about the Hive and, and how they are actually structured as an enemy race is very weird because <laughs> each each of the Hive God siblings structured their, their tributes and tithing very differently. And we still have yet to actually see how exactly Zivu has has done hers, but for the most part, like it's it's interesting and I I love diving into the the hive even though I feel very uh grimy afterward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's fair grimy well i mean they it 
The entire race is a death cult. <laughs> Good point. They worship death. Like that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and it, it's funny you bring that up because it at the beginning I was always confused uh, during the Warmind DLC why um, what's his? I'm already blinking on his name. The Orcs' brother. Or uh no, not works. Cabal Crow's um, brother. Crow's brother. Nocris. Like he's into like hive necromancy and why that's like kind of frowned upon. Where I'm like, why would you care about or why would that be a big deal? Like you guys just you keep regenerating and like you just keep coming back. But it like it kind of goes against their religion. Like you said, they like worship death and like like I it took me a really long time to sort of wrap my head around like the sword logic and, and a lot of that like aspects. And so I understand as time went on, like him cheating death is kind of like it really is blasphemous to to them and their religion and like that's kind of neat uh it's it's especially with nakris like it's not specifically about him cheating death because they have throne worlds that they essentially respawn in um but with nakris it's more about the fact that he's gifting ah rebirth to others and uh Giving is completely against everything the Hive believe. The Hive believe that you have to take in order to actually deserve that power. And if if it's gifted, you don't deserve it. Okay. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. I was was like you, Rob. I thought it was because... um... You know, he's he's cheating death. I thought that was why that was considered considered blasphemous. But that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. They have to earn that power. Survival of the fittest, like you called it earlier. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, and and see, but that's just it, right? Like that, there's a, a subtlety to to kind of all of these things, but that makes all the difference, right? Like it's it's not just yeah. the 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 throne world and and cheating death, but yeah, it's like the means at which others can learn to do it and not sort of earning it in the traditional hive sense. And that's, again, it's a, it's a, it's more than a subtle nuance, but it is a, a nuance, but it makes all the difference in why that matters. And so like, it's very, very interesting to this whole, this whole thing. Well, Elemis, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, sharing with us your, uh, your wonderful lore knowledge. We really appreciate it. Um, hopefully our audience, um, got a kick out of it as well and please please go check out their podcast guardians of lore available on a, i believe you know all the major platforms right apple Podcasts, yeah. spotify etc etc go check them out and um uh without further ado i'll close out the show all right so for this last encounter the loot table is pretty significant so yes. every single weapon that's available in the dungeon is available in this encounter. So uh, the Void Submachine Gun, Unforgiven, the Storm Chaser, Linear Fusion, Lingering Dread, Epicurean, uh, Fixed Odds is added to this, as well as the new Pulse Rifle, New Purpose. And you've got the Exotic Sword, Heart Shadow. And you have every single armor piece available in this as well. Um so am I, I'm not mistaken when I say you only get one thing from this. No, it drops chest, two. Right? Is it two? Okay. You get two, just like grasp. Gotcha, gotcha. So how do you guys feel about the final encounter having every single available oh, loot so... piece in one 
thing. It just makes it so watered down that like if exactly. you're actually going for something specific, it makes it a bit like pointless because you gotta go to the other ones. The, I guess the good thing about it, and I'm I don't I'm not even sure about this because like the the machine gun is amazing with feeding frenzy and and the uh, the thing that blows guys up with the solar thing. What's the name? Uh, incandescent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, feeding frenzy and incandescent and that thing is so much fun, <laughs> so much fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but but again, to get one is so hard, right? Because you, you get everything in there, and like as most people have said, and Rob has said too here before, is that too much uh, armor drops. I don't know if it's like weighted towards getting more armor drops than anything else, but just the fact that there's way too many things, it's a bit, uh, you know. But but then again, you know, the master version also. I guess that's the only good thing I, I should say about it. Like, if you want to get those armor pieces with the with the extra slot on them, then it kind of makes sense. Because that was an issue with the other one, right? Like, sometimes you would do the master version and just get, like, normal weapons out of it, and you were like, but I want armor. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if anything, that, that might be a thing. It's, yeah, I think it's ironic that the dungeon that brings the menagerie weapons back is the one that has the worst the worst experience of you trying to like target farm certain things right when ironically yeah that was the menagerie was the thing invented to yeah to to counter this exact problem that we have so yeah i find that kind of funny i think you put it very well when you called it i think watered down is a perfect way to describe this it's it there's too much in in one thing um but i will say um there is no weekly lockout on any of these encounters, so if you wanted to, you could just like farm the crap out of it. Yeah, right. But if you didn't thing. get it that week, you can't, or it's not in your loot pool, and you didn't get that week. I don't think you can, like, like I, I still have yet to get yes. a storm chaser. Oh, so I can't, like, if I haven't gotten it, I can't farm the second encounter or the third encounter until I get it. Yeah. Okay. That's weird. That is weird. It's quite watered down. Well, did you guys get new purpose or uh, the new fixed odds at all? Nope. By chance? All, no? all I've gotten is lingering dread. Lingering. That's all. <laughs> that's the only new thing I'm I've so gotten. So sorry. Yeah, that's right. I apologize. I have. Um, I got a fixed odds, and I think incandescent on everything is fun, but incandescent yeah. on fixed odds is a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, I did not I get a chance to play with a new purpose though. Got it. Don't think anyone has new purpose yet, right? Robbie, did you get a chance? No, no, no. I, I also have fixed odds with incandescent. I want the the feeling frenzy one, which I don't have. But but yeah, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think I you know that. what it reminds me of? And it, it, I don't know why. Uh, but the the seventh Seraph of Saw back when I was using a lot of, oh. of the mods for that. Season of the Worthy, right? Well, I, I guess I had it like way after, but <laughs> when you would use the see, I know I even forgot the name of those mods to make the the oh, explosive balls. War mine cells. War mine cells. Sorry. Yes. Uh, see, it's been a while. It's been it's been a hot minute. So using that one to make war mine cells and then blowing things up, it, this one's giving me the same kind of like joy that that one brought. Yeah. Like just you know explosions totally, are fun. Yeah, explosions <laughs> everywhere, killing ants, uh, solar. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, I like it. it. It's like fire. Like everyone's, I feel like you know, Firefly is one of like everybody's favorite perks in Destiny history, and this is just 
like Firefly on crack. It's it's a lot. Of fun. It's, I don't know if Firefly because I I feel like with Firefly you have to be precise. You know, well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, like turned up to ten. This, this one feels like the percent. closest thing to a flamethrower that we have in the game. <laughs> that's how I will describe it. Well said. That's that's very true. So to close this out. Let's each give a closing statement on our thoughts on duality. Rob, start us off. Uh, yeah, so just kind of going back to the loophole discussion. Um, I think I think Epicurean and fixed odds should not be in there. And that way it gives you... Then it's it's much more akin to Grasp of Avarice, where you have four new weapons. I mean, new to us. There's like there's the sword, Thousand Yard Stare, uh, the Matador, and Ias Luna, and but but because you have those two new weapons or two old weapons, it sort of muddles the the loot pool. Uh, it also kind of just sucks that trying to get deep sight like apparently is a huge pain in the ass, uh, especially since fixed odds can only drop from the third encounter. So you can't even like target farm it somewhere else. Yep. Uh, and so your loot pool is just massive. So I really think like it's cool that the menagerie weapons came back ultimately like i like epicurean i like i have i i think i still have one of my old fixed odds that i never deleted from from season of opulence because it just i really liked it um i think those should not be in the loot pool partially because it it's a weird aesthetic to have like those should just be in the the wild uh and and maybe you can make an argument then it makes it harder to get the the drang and might a mini tool and Ostringer and beloved because now you've got twice or half is half more 150 percent more uh stuff in the pool so trying to get the deep sites for those would be a huge pain you know you know maybe that's also why they didn't bring back imperial decree whatever you want to say about that uh but the dungeon is like you know it's an exciting it should have loot exclusive to that and Technically, this is exclusive loot to that, but it's like old loot that's weird. And I just, I think I wish they didn't put those two in there because it feels odd to me. Um, and it just, it's so like the the loot pool just sucks for the third encounter and for the other two encounters. Like, I wish I had more weapons, but it's just like it sucks not getting anything. Absolutely, I get it. Mm. As as a whole, the dungeon. Um, oh right, give it a grade. Ooh, a B C. D. That's not D a for D. duality. It's not a C. It's like <laughs> okay, I give it like a. But see, maybe you shouldn't ask me because I like Grasp of Avarice. So like, hey, you're entitled to your opinion. I know, you're, even you're though my entitled. opinions are probably wrong in this scenario. <laughs> no, 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 no. I probably, I probably give it be wrong. I, I would do this. I'll do this. I'll, I'll do this over Pit of Heresy. I'll do this over Prophecy. Uh. Uh, I'd probably give it like a B minus. B minus. Yeah, yeah, that's like, fair. That's fair. I think that's a perfectly reasonable the, rate. The, the aesthetics are cool. The weapon design's really cool. The armor's kind of a bust. And I don't see it having as much replay because the jumping puzzle slash not jumping puzzle, the jumping mechanics get a little old after a while and And the opening conversation the opening conversation with airs that you have to do every time is also kind of annoying so yeah b minus okay robbie what about you i'll do this over prophecy any day yeah for sure uh i do like the pit of heresy so i don't know Uh, honestly that that's the thing for me i I would rather do pit of heresy or shattered throne any day i don't know why i just like them um but then you know that's just me 
Uh, the one thing that I thought about, and this is kind of like my final thought on it, we have that whole area, and you mentioned the guns should be there and all that stuff, uh, during the Pit of Heresy time, I guess, where you do that public event in the moon. Um, I think you do it. No, wait. So there's something that you have to do. I don't remember if it's with the Lost Sectors or, or with that public event thing. But you get like this, I'll call it a cookie. And then when you go to the dungeon, you eat the cookie. And then it guarantees you a weapon drop. Oh, right. One a week. Oh, the hymn of desecration. The, that, yeah, that's, exactly. yeah, it's from the, the public How do you remember that? The hymn it's of desecration. My inventory, inventory for so long, memory, I never touch it. That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, the, the cool thing about that is that you could also save them, right? So, so you could, I don't know. Uh, give us something like that for this one. And I assure you, people will stop complaining so much. Mm-hmm. I would love to see something like that because you know the, I didn't expect to have like a like an open area this season, but we have it. So you know the the possibilities there, uh, the options definitely there. And with this loot table, I would definitely want a, a little hymn of desecration over here too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great idea. I totally forgot about that thing. That would make perfect sense in this in this dungeon. And it's like only it, one, so you can like it depends on where you use it, right? Like it will like if you use it before a certain boss. So if you're actually target, like for example, with the last boss being so diluted, you can eat your cookie and then be like, so now I have only two weapons that I can get, and just right. at least once avoid having armor for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that will help a lot. You know, yeah, you know, actually, I, I you know what I got it for. I'm gonna expand upon that is. You, when you open the opulent chest in the public of, or in the public space, yep, you can either get one of your opulent weapons, or you get one of these cookies, or maybe in addition to like it's a super rare and like not super common. Maybe as common as you get a red border, and when you eat one of those cookies, if you do it in the first encounter, you get a red border epicurean, but if you do it in the final encounter, you get a red border fixed odds. Because then it's then you're getting oh, him. Then it as, connects them. Right. Yeah, then you're yeah, getting yeah. then you're getting the red borders as frequently as you are getting the beloved or the Austringer red borders. Um, and you can specifically target. And once you get those five, then you can like, you know, then you don't really need those cookies anymore. Yes. Uh, but but you still have maybe it also gives you the opportunity where it'll have like two rolls or you know two. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. Once you get all, once you get all ten of them, you don't need any more cookies. But then you can just consume them and whatever. Well, you get another for one. the ones that are not craftable, you could still use them to target farm the rolls that you want once That's a fair. week at least. Yeah. Know? That's fair. Yeah. And just some. You got to do some kind of bad luck protection. I hate exactly. to say it. Something but, you yeah. get from the Leviathan patrol space, which would make perfect sense, adds into the whole right. loop of the season. Something you get from the Leviathan that you then take in the dungeon to. Thin the loot pool to get right. what you want. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect yeah. sense. So my final grade, uh, I think I'd give it, I'd give it slightly higher than what Rob gave it. I give, I'd give it a B. Huh? No, I take it back. I give it a B minus because it doesn't have any fun little uh, gimmicky encounters. Okay. If, if it had, if it had a fun little gimmicky encounter, I'd give it, I'd give it maybe a higher grade. But if I liked... like a, like a sparrow encounter or something. Yeah. So you I... guys both gave it a B minus now. Yeah, B minus because I, I. I don't know. After Grasp of Arrows, I feel like anything could have like been good for me, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's so nice. We have a good dungeon again." But I like that it's like mechanically involved. At least in my opinion, I think it's pretty pretty involved compared to the other ones. I like the aesthetic as usual. I mean, that's a, a consistent throughout all the dungeons. They all look pretty. 
Um, but it's good. It's fun. It's involved. The loot pool, pool is problematic, but at least the weapons are cool. Uh, the armor set isn't great, but overall, it's, I, I I would do this over Prophecy and Grasp, 100%. So. Okay. Right, so I'll, I, I was thinking of doing B-2, but since you did it, I'll be the one to bring it down with a C+. Plus. Oh, C+, okay. plus. dang. No, that's, <laughs> that's fair. fair. Honestly, that, yeah. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not even going to argue with that. It's, it's perfectly reasonable. All right, so thank you guys for hopping on and chatting with me about Always. duality. And thank you out there for hopping on and listening to us. We really appreciate it. If you guys want to send us any messages, we're on various socials. We're on Instagram, Twitter, at Eventide Radio. You can also send us an email at eventideradio at gmail.com. Without further ado, see you guys next time. Bye. Ciao.